What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the MMA Archive for another edition of our sort of betting anticipation show. Um, I got my guy here, Eric uh, Bets Fights. Uh, why don't you tell him a little bit on where they can find your stuff at, man? Hey, y'all. I'm uh, Eric Bets Fights. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Bets Fights, on YouTube at Eric Bets Fights, uh, on Bet MMA Tips. Um, I don't think I'm called Eric Bets Fights on there, too. I don't know. It's harder to find me on there, but. Uh, those are the only platforms I'm using, but uh, yeah. Yeah, man, and you're in good hands with this picks, I'm telling you. So I'm going to be forthcoming. You got to be honest on this show. You know, it's it's you can go back and watch the video. Last week wasn't a hot week for me. I'm not going to lie. My plays were good, but my picks on the entire card, eh, I went I went six and six, which in the MMA landscape isn't too bad. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to MMA Wiz. He ended up going nine and three. Uh, so really looking forward to see how this one comes out, trying to have a bounce back week here. Um, so before we get into this one, I just wanted to ask you, was there anything that sort of stuck out to you about last week's card that you want to quickly go over? You know, I, I would say the main takeaway for me was Bryce Mitchell, man. Like, I mean, I knew, I knew he was good, but I think that we're really starting to see how good that kid actually is and what he might be capable of. I mean, that was a pretty big step up in competition. Absolutely ran over a really, really solid and experienced veteran. You know, is Barboza starting to fade a little? Maybe so, but even, even if that's the case, like, I just think, I mean, the fact that he dropped him with a punch, Mitchell's striking looked really good. Like, I just think that kid is starting to put together a pretty complete and scary game. I think he's got a great mindset. I think he's got great cardio. Like I, he, he might be something else, man. Dude, I couldn't agree with you more. What really freaked me out about it was like you said, the cardio, like after that third round, it looked like he could go another two. And that's, that's not easy for that grappling style at all to maintain that level of sort of output for three rounds straight. Um, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward. I think I always thought there was some limitations on his ceiling, uh, but really now I'm having to sort of reconsider my entire understanding of where he can end up. Cause I, I really feel like at this point, you gotta, you gotta admit he's on that championship track. Like, and, and that's crazy to think about at the, the sharks at 145. Yeah, dude. And, and like you said, with the cardio, like that's really the deciding factor with a, with a fighter that comes in with the kind of game plan that he has, you know, like, I mean, we've seen lots of really solid wrestlers, solid grapplers, but a lot of times they end up not being able to carry out that game plan throughout the full fight. If, if you're, if you're someone who is, who has solid takedowns, has a solid top game is willing to be relentless with those things and has the cardio to be relentless with those things. And you can hold your own on the feet. That's, that's pretty scary. I mean, that's pretty tough to beat, you know? Hell yeah. And I think that the most underrated part of his game that he's really added to is the kicking opened up with a fucking mm -hmm. hook kick and, and throughout the fight, you could tell there's no fear about the grappling offense of his opponent's part. So I, I'm really interested to see, I'm pretty sure he's going to end up buzzing a couple guys on the feet with those kicks. Yeah. I, I kept thinking the whole time I, he was in there, I kept thinking about like, I mean, obviously he was 14 and 0 going into that fight. He's a, professional mixed martial artist fighting in the UFC, that sort of thing. But I still kept thinking about like, imagine being a 27 year old kid and going into the octagon and looking across and seeing Edson Barboza, even though, you know, you're on that level and you've trained and you're ready. That's gotta be a scary feeling, you know, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like that moment of like, oh shit, like how did I get here? But yeah, he showed up. <laughs> Dude, that's I, I need to start considering those things more because you're so right. Like the fear of being marbleized against a guy like that must be present. Yeah, yeah for sure. Even though so. you know you're ready and even though you know who you are, that's still a that's still a moment, man. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. And shit, he lived up to it with flying colors, man. I'm looking forward to that too. Um, I just quickly wanted to mention because I feel personally responsible for the Jan Shaunan, uh, Marina Rodriguez decision and the way it played out. Cause I ended up reaching out to you because uh, in all um, honesty, you, you ended up making the pick on uh, Jan Shaunan and I did, dude, I was posting on, on Twitter during the week. I honestly was going back and forth on that one all week. And I ended up siding with Marina, but I saw all the reasons why you, you said it and it played out in the fight, man. I, in my opinion, if, if any fight should have got fight on the night in that card, it's that one. Um, and really, it, I guess it comes down to the second round, but you, you can yeah. really argue. I, I think Yan Shanan should have got the nod on that one. I thought so too. And, and after the first round, I mean, if you, if you watched my video and, and kind of saw what my read was on that fight going in, after the first round, I was on top of the world as far as, as far as capping, you know, I was like, I said, Jan was going to be too fast. She was going to have better footwork. She was going to get in and out and land straight punches. And I was like, it's playing out just like I said. And then it kind of played out less and less like that as the fight went on, but I still felt really good about that read. And yeah, I thought, I mean, honestly, going into round three, you can never be confident, but uh, going into round three, I, I thought, Jan was up two rounds. I, I felt pretty, I was like, all right, we got two rounds in the bag as long as we don't get, get tenated or get knocked out here. But I, a lot of people did give the second to Marina. I'd have to rewatch it, but at, you know, at the time I gave it, I gave it to Jan. I agree with you. And I ended up giving the third to Marina. I thought, you know, you could argue that was the, the most dominant round of the entire fight, yep. but in, in the same, at the same token, I, dude, I, I reached out to you right after the first and I'm like, yep, you yep. got it, dude. Like I, I was like, <laughs> you were on point. And then I, I definitely feel like I ruined that, but uh, sneaky, good fight there. And I'm, I'm glad it yeah. played out the way it did. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about, cause I got into a whole rant about this on the, um, the sideline guys podcast. Um, do you have any thoughts and we'll, we'll try to be brief uh, about the way the co-main event wrapped up and the responsibility of these um, refs and doctors? I know you were in the building, so you didn't really get to hear uh, some of the some of the sort of dialogue between the two. I'd love to fill you in. But what are your thoughts on that whole situation and how it played out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those. Things. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that the fight could have been stopped. At the same time, you know, in hindsight, round five was probably Moicano's best round, right? I mean, so, but but at the same time, it's like, yeah, that's hindsight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough it's tough to say. Like, I I think that it, it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to win the fight. I understand that it, all it takes is one punch, all it takes is one moment. I understand the fighter wants to get in there. They want to have the chance. They want to have the chance to win. But, but with all the things that were working against him and the way the fight was going, like, yeah, it's, it did start to get a little ugly for sure. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, did that really come across in person? Cause I know how different it could be um, at home seeing these things. You know, probably not as much, Pro- like you said, yeah, probably not as much. There are definitely, I, I was just actually saying that I just recorded my breakdown video right before this. And I talked about certain elements, like I was talking about like in the Tim Elliott fight and, and a few other fights where there were some dirty things that were going on 
and I, and I was saying that like, I don't think I'm even fully aware of what some of those things were because when you're in the building, you don't, you don't hear the commentary. So there were things happening that I don't think I even know was happening kind of. So yeah, like you're saying with, with the, with the RDA and Moicano fight. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I was getting the, the full extent of it, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, it, it was a fight that got pretty ugly for sure. I think the worst one was in between the third and the fourth, not even the fourth and the fifth. I think that one, that moment was where I think someone should have done the damn deed. And what pisses me off about it is because you, you, I a hundred percent don't blame the corner. Everyone says, Oh, it's a corner's fault. Ridiculous. We've heard the things that Anthony D. Smith has been saying, you know, if, if my corner took me out of there, I will never fucking train mm-hmm. at that gym again. And that's real. Like I'm sure there's a lot of fighters mm-hmm. that feel that same exact way, but what, what, what I don't understand, and, and this is something that I, w- I encourage you to look back at the fight and sort of see this exchanges, um, the, the Mark Goddard and the doctor had a real sort of passing the torch moment where they really didn't want to be the reason, both of these guys, you could tell, mm-hmm. and going into the, the um, so the third and the fourth regular protocol, what what is in the rule set? is that if they can see, they can fight, right? That That's what's listed in the rule set. So that was what was examined going into the third and then again in the fourth. And what pissed me off was in the fourth and the fifth round, um, Mark Goddard and him were having the conversation and they did a good job miking it. Usually they don't. So we heard all of it. And Mark Goddard was saying, you know, um, I want you to check him out, but I'm most likely going to stop it. That's what he said before he even went in. And the doctor checks him out. And this is someone that is a doctor for them regularly, especially here in Vegas. Um, this this was criminal to me. He turns to Mark Goddard and he goes, you know, I don't really care if you what you do either way. What, what the fuck? You would think uh, you're the guy, you're the mechanism that everyone is turning to. Um, you could say in a way to step away from what everyone else feels. And the fact that you're feeling the pressure of like, almost like you know what i don't want to riot in here let me keep this fight going yeah you're not here for that like you're here for yeah. safety and clearly there was a safety issue yeah that's crazy no yeah i didn't realize that 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 is what what he had said or anything like that. yeah that's crazy to think about and then right yeah. after mark goddard ends up saying and I, and I don't blame mark goddard at all i kind of really like the way he handled it he went up to moicano and he said you got 30 seconds to turn this around or i'm stopping it and and i thought that was a very commendable like i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because like you said yeah. the fact that he was able to come back in that fifth round and have his best round says a lot but i think it also says something about rda being tired and rda you know what saying you know we got this in the bag let's take a step back and allowing for that to happen a little bit um i don't know how i feel about that i really feel like at the end of the day we put the mechanisms in the plate in place as far as the the ref the doctor to to not put it in the hand of the corners and when those two guys can't figure it out either it's like what are we really doing here like you said um he could have landed something crazy. He could have got a crazy sla- uh, flash knockout or a quick submission. Those things could all happen. We've seen all the kind of crazy examples of that shit. My logo has Darren Elkins in it after um, his fight with Mursa Bektic. But those moments when you're, when you're watching them, I couldn't help but feel like this was a real career changer for Renato Moicano. And I hope that isn't the case. Um, but I, that's just how I felt during 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 watching it. Yeah, yeah, and and it might very well be. That's certainly not out of the question. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but I had a real fun time with that event. I thought there was, I thought the main card specifically was a little more predictable. I went four and one on the main card, um, and that's because I took the dog shot on uh, Cowboy Oliveira. But um, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. Um, but you, you can't complain, and we're going into another big week. I was surprised that this week actually has fourteen fights on it. Um, yep. So we're gonna break down all these. Uh, briefly some of them a little more detail on others just really excited to hear what your thoughts are but one thing i want to ask you before we get into it um i just want to know a little bit more about your process when you're coming into these events so i know you watch tape um early on in the week but when you're going into a card do you like look at it before the tape and sort of make your reads first and then go to the tape like how, what's your process like I no, I don't really, uh, um, I don't really kind of make reads on the on the fights ahead of time. Um, yeah, I, I go into the tape. Actually, it's kind of funny that you ask that because I had a situation watching tape for this fight where um, I, I actually started at the top of the card and worked my way down, which usually I kind of jump around. I pick the spots that I that I like and whatever. But this time I actually just started at the top and went all the way down. But then when I got to the uh, Sabina Mazo and Miranda Maverick fight, I didn't even know that fight was on the card and I had already watched fights that they were in from taping the previous. So like, I literally was that unaware, like I go in knowing that little, I didn't even know that fight. So while I was watching fights of theirs earlier while uh, taping their opponents, I wasn't even like, Oh, I can be paying attention to both of these fighters here. Cause I literally didn't even know they were on the card. So that's how much attention <laughs> I pay until, until I actually get to that fight in my tape study. <laughs> nice. And I just want to say as an MMA fan in the pandemic era, that's the way to go. You, I don't, I have no clue what event is next week. I don't even know if it's a pay-per-view or not. You just got to live, roll with the punches and what, and so you don't get disappointed with all the, I'm pretty sure at least two of the, uh, the card, eh, two of the fights that we're covering for this card are probably going to end up scratched, but yeah, hey, right. we're here to discuss it. That's all that matters. Um, and then one last question I had about sort of your prep process and watching tape. Has there ever been a time and, and, please feel free to run with this however you want, but has there ever been a time where you thought one thing going in and after watching the tape, you really had a revelation that ends up, you know, either playing out the way you thought or the opposite way. That's a really great question. And I can't think of a situation where something like that happened. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anything right now, I guess. No, but <laughs> you're good. I mean, there, there've definitely been, there's, there've definitely been spots where, um, cause I, I don't look at the odds ahead of time. That's my process essentially is I watch the tape. Um, I decide, I, I set my own percentage. Like I, I pick like, okay, I think this is the fighter that I think is most likely to win. I, I assign a percentage to it. And then I, you know, uh, turn that into a, a money line. And then I compare it to, so I don't know the actual odds while I'm watching tape. And then I compare that to the real money line to, to see if there's value there. And um, there've definitely been spots where um, after doing that, I've been shocked. The Rodriguez Yan Janan fight was an example. Um, I seem to be the only handicapper who felt this way, but after doing the tape, I actually was willing to lean Yan outright, not by much. I mean, we're talking 55% maybe, but I actually um, was ex I was expecting the fight to be close, but I was like, eh, if anything, I would say Jan is probably a tiny favorite here. So when I pulled it up and saw she was like plus 240, that was one of those auto bet situations. That was pull it up and boom right now, you know, whereas sometimes it's like, 
I'm, I'm thinking about it throughout the week and kind of weighing it. But when I see something like that, where like, I think this fighter is going to be favored and they're a huge underdog. That's a, that's an immediate bet, you know? Yeah, dude, that's a super cool example. And, and I keep referring to that one because even I watch your breakdowns every week, but when I watched the breakdown, I was like, you know what? He's fucking right. Like I, I, I had my own feelings about the fight. And then I, I was like, damn, like, and I ended up still going back and forth, but yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Um, and then the last question I want to ask you, this may be a, a silly one, but when you're watching tape, where are you looking? Like, are you specifically watching one fighter per the fight? Are you like, how do you watch fights? I know that may sound like a silly question, but. Um, if I'm understanding your question correctly. Um, so essentially what I do, well, I, I mean, I can, I can kind of just talk a little bit about my, my process for tape study. Should I just yeah. kind of talk about that a little bit? Just kind of For what sure. I do? Okay, so yeah, I mean, essentially, um, I, I'll start by watching, so we'll use, for example, Santos versus Ankalaev here. So I'll, I'll just pick one of the fighters and I'll start by watching their most recent fight. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it depends on, you know, if it's, a, if it's a fight that went three rounds or went five rounds or whatever, and, I, and it's a pretty complete performance where I feel like I can learn a lot. I might just watch that most recent fight and I'll be like, okay, I feel like I've got a pretty, pretty good idea here. Then I'll go to the other fighter and I'll watch their most recent fight. And then usually after watching those two most recent fights, um, sometimes that's it. Um, sometimes I'll feel like I got what I need there, but more often than not, what happens is now I have questions. So after watching this fight from this fighter, watching this fight from this fighter, and, you know, seeing some of fighter B's tendencies, and then I'll think back to what I watched in fighter A, and I'm like, I'm not entirely sure how they're going to deal with this particular tendency of fighter B. So now I'll dig back another fight to see if I can answer those questions. And now that fight might give me more questions about fighter B, and I dig back another fight. So it's, you know, I mean, obviously, I have, I, I'm just a normal guy with a full-time job and a family and stuff. So I'm not trying to spend 20, 30 hours a week on tape study. If I could watch more fights on every fighter every time I would, but I'm also, I'm trying to get my information, but I'm trying to be efficient too, you know, cause I've got a life to live. So if I can watch just the most recent fights and feel like I've got what I need, awesome. But it, you know, more often than not, I end up being like, I'd love to do more here, but I got to move on with my life kind of. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you on that. Yeah, fights are way longer than people think. That's why sometimes when I'm watching these old events, sometimes, you know, Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracely are there going to, to a tie. You got to you gotta hit that five-second forward a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll be honest here. You got to – sometimes you got to get through those slogs. But um, just so that I could clarify a little bit and hopefully get um, the, to the point that I was specifically trying to hit is, like, when you're watching, let's say you're watching tape on Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. I hope you didn't have to, but let's say um, when you're looking. So you're looking consciously thinking about, you know, I want to find out about Tiago Santos. So are you just watching him? And how is that different than when you're sort of watching a fight live? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I would be just pretty much just paying attention to. Um, you know, mo at least probably 80, 90% paying attention to the, to the fighter that I'm trying to watch the tape on there. Obviously you do take into account the, um, who the opponent is and, and what their tendencies are as well, because, you know, if you can draw parallels between the, the opponent that you're watching the tape for there or that you're considering, but, um, 
so yeah, like if I'm if I'm watching tape on Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, and I'm specifically paying attention to okay, this is how Tiago Santos deals with um, a big guy with a long reach who can who can come in really explosively and cover a lot of ground and land strikes and that kind of thing, and then and then if that also applies to his next opponent then that's a specific thing that I can sort of carry over there and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely thinking a little bit about what the tendencies of the opponent are so that I can see how, you know, think about how that fighter reacts to particular things. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely part of it too. Nice. But yeah, for the, a lot, but a lot of what I'm doing, I mean, I don't have a ton of, um, I, I, I was a, a karate black belt 20 some years ago, but other than that, and I've done a little bit of Muay Thai and a little bit of grappling, but not not much. You know, I'm definitely not an expert martial artist or anything. So I don't have super, super deep technical knowledge that allows me to really, really get into the techniques as much as um, just kind of the tendencies and the thing, you know, things like heart and cardio and things like that. But, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of what I'm looking for is if this fighter ends up on their back, do they accept that position or do they work hard to get up? If this fighter is pushed against the cage, are they, are they working hard to get out of there? Are they working hard for underhooks? Or are they just kind of hanging out? Does it seem like they're, they're always willing to push to get out of bad spots? And, you know, those are the kind of, of things that I'm considering a lot of times more than the really technical things, simply because I, I sort of lack the, 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 the deep, deep understanding of that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And for me, whenever I'm watching fights live, what really I struggle with, to be honest, is I find that if I'm leaning towards one fighter or if I am more of a fan towards one fighter, I find that I look more at them and I'm trying to recenter myself to sort of stay in the middle so I could actually see more of what's going on. Because uh, a lot of people don't talk about that, you know, that uh, the way you watch a fight informs the way you take it in, whether you're there in person or whether you're not watching it on, on actual uh, TV, it's very different experiences. So um, yeah, just curious about that, but I'm excited to get into this fight card, man. We got a lot of fights to touch on. Yeah, and dude. honestly, we're going to start bottom up. What I am really hype about is that I think this card, even more than last card is fucking like, deep like they, there's a lot of good matchups here and matchups yep. that are going to tell us a lot about these prospects which is really always exciting for me um so let's get right into the first one we've got tafan and chukwi coming up against azamat Mirzakhanov. hey you get these names you get good at saying crazy names when you're yeah. an mma fan um so i'll start off with this one when i when i saw this i saw both of these guys obviously their contender series performances and then i i've seen a lot of um in chukwi's fights in the ufc um i've been hot and cold on Inchukwi. i think i've been super impressed by him and a lot of his performances and especially in the clinch i think he's a dog in the clinch and i think if he's going to win this one that's his route you know really taking a lot of the steam off of um azamat in those clinch positions um, but I do think he's a little slow at range. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that really is is sort of the tail of the tape when it comes to this matchup. I think the the chance for him to get caught out in range is really much bigger than any of his previous fights um, in this specific matchup. And obviously, there's not much tape that I, that I was able to see on Azamat, but in that contender series fight, he just blew the guy out of there and really made it look easy. Um, and, and there was some hype on that guy too. So I'm really... 
I'm really looking forward to see how this one plays out. I tend to lean towards Nchukwi because of the experience edge, and that's that's going to be my pick. Uh, but honestly, I won't be surprised if he ends up getting sparked early too. Yeah, this is I I have about probably four or five fights on this card. Um, I as a MMA handicapper and content creator, I try to like ascribe to the idea that you know, like when you're a kid and you ask a teacher a question and a teacher, the teacher doesn't know the question, but they like try to half-ass their way through an answer rather than just being like, I don't know. I have like four or five fights on this card where I just don't feel like I have a solid read. So I'm just going to be honest about that rather than trying to fake my way through. This is one of them. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And yeah, Azamat, um, like you said, in his contender series fight, and if you dig back further in his fights, he has tended to be a first round finisher. Um, he does have that fight against Guto in a cinch where he used his wrestling and that fight went a little longer, but we haven't really seen, um, he, you know, his cardio appeared to hold up pretty well in that fight, but he was always in, in the dominating positions. So he wasn't necessarily doing the kind of wrestling that's going to tire you out. Although in a cinch is a lot bigger than him. Um, so I feel like there's a lot that we don't know about Mirzakhanov yet, but I pretty much, um, as, as insofar as I do have a read on this fight, I ended up kind of feeling the same way that you do that. I, I'm leaning in Chukwi. If I was going to bet this fight, I didn't, I would bet in Chukwi as the underdog. I think just based on he's, he's bigger, he's younger, he's more physical. Um, uh, like you said, as far as in those clinch positions, he might be able to kind of control with that size and that strength. And then just the fact that he has the, uh, the higher level experience. I, yeah, I don't feel like I have a super strong, like technical read on this fight. So it's kind of just, if I'm going to bet it, I'm going to take the plus money on the veteran who happens to be the bigger, more physical guy. Nice. And then in fights like this, where you're not, like you said, you're, you're a little hot and cold. Is there is there ever a moment where you look at props on these fights, or is it just like we're skipping that one and moving on to the next one? I do. I mean, I do eventually. Um, if I have time, I I like to at some point during the week sit down and look through all the props, and because I've already made my smart bets, and then on fight day I sit down and I'm like, eh, I'm gonna throw a little on some of these things I maybe shouldn't. But yeah, I I do try to basically look at. Um, look at pretty much every every bet and but also you know even if I don't feel like I have a strong read on um, the fighters themselves and what the dynamic might be between them I you know I can also look at at the stats I can look at their previous fights and um, you know how often do they finish how often do they go to decision so I'm definitely trying to even if I don't feel like I have a read on the dynamic I still like to look at the numbers and see you know is there a good chance you know, his fight doesn't go to decision, potentially a good bet here and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I was going to say that's Stephen Wright kickboxing. I think that might be the play on this one. They'll take a little flyer on uh, not to not go to the distance. Because mm -hmm. honestly, both of these guys have really had real power in their fights, even if uh, Nchukwi hasn't gotten really the finishes to match up with that. I think there's been a lot of times where you see um, the disincentivizing of his opponents where they're like, all right, I don't want to, I don't want no parts of that shit again. Yep. Um, so yeah, really, really looking forward to this one. So we're, just so I, I wrote this down right, you're, you're going with Nchukwi on this one if you had to pick yep cool. yeah this is this is fun i know i a lot of times i don't even really do picks you know because mm -hmm. i'm i'm kind of just watching tape and, and doing videos specifically for uh for bets so yeah now I, you're holding me to the fire a little bit here i gotta actually make some picks yes sir it's only right <laughs> like we can't it. sit on the fence here we can't sit yep. on the fence um this next one actually i i've been rattling about in my head a lot 
Um, I have not watched, I'll be, I'll be honest, I have not watched any tape on Moutinho besides that Sean O'Malley fight. So obviously I don't have a good perception on his skills at all. Um, but just from that fight alone, um, I'm a little concerned on both ends because I, I initially was like, yeah, uh, bet the farm on Guido, like 100%, like uh, because of his experience and all those things. Um, but Guido's somebody that tends to fade late. And when you're a 40 plus year old man still fighting in MMA, that is a double factor now. Um, so honestly, <laughs> I could see a situation where Moutinho is really getting destroyed early on in the first round and then finds a way to stick in the fight and ends up putting it on Guido late. Um, that won't surprise me at all. Um, this one, I feel like is really a coin flip for me just because of my knowledge on the two. Um, I'm just going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Moutinho just because I really think no matter what, he's going to be able to survive that first sort of onslaught in the first round. Yeah. I kind of have a lot of the same thoughts that you do here. Um, like you said, Guido Conetti, Guido Canetti is a 42 year old man. I am a 42 year old man. And so when I think about this rickety body trying to get in there and fight with a 29 year old man, like, and he's, he's still looked pretty good. I mean, in his last fight there, I didn't really see signs that he was slowing down or anything, but it could happen so quickly now, especially at these lower weight classes. I think his last fight was like seven months ago. I mean, he could have fallen off a cliff in the last seven months, even there's, there's just no way to know, but the, um, this fight was again, one where it's, it's kind of tough to get a read on the dynamic for me anyway. So I ended up looking at the numbers a little bit more. And um, what really stood out to me was uh, Chris Moutinho throws almost 15 significant strikes per minute. So he's very busy. His striking defense is only 27%, which is awful, worse than Negamarianu. Um, so I kept thinking like, all right, if it plays out on the feet, I think Guido is going to, he's, he's probably the harder hitter, but he just doesn't throw that much. And there's a good chance that Chris is going to be landing strikes quite consistently, even if they're not particularly hard strikes. But then I looked at the fact that Guido is nine for 18 on takedowns with 25 or 24% control time. So, I mean, he doesn't, he's not necessarily always going to look to do that, but this may be a situation in which he would, you know, I mean, if he's also, when you're 42 years old, you probably don't want to get too heavy into the wrestling because of the uh, cardio issues that can come from that. But, you know, let's say Chris is kind of piecing him up on the feet and just landing a lot more. Maybe he would look to use his wrestling, but yeah, I, I, I had a hard time deciding where to lean here. As far as a bet, if I was going to bet it, I would bet Guido just because he's at a little bit of plus money. This is one of those spots where I would just bet the underdog either way. If I got to make a pick, I think I'm going to go Moutinho. I'm going to go Moutinho by decision if I got to pick. Dude, and I love that you made that distinction because something that I talk about on my other show is like, you're not necessarily always betting on what you think is going to happen. Like you're betting on, on what has value and what could potentially happen uh, because I've seen wilder shit happen. And I agree something that you said that really sort of sparked the reason and really solidified why I, why I'm picking Chris is like, it's not just about um, activity and who's going to be landing the harder strikes. I'm pretty sure Guido's going to be connecting at a better, more impactful rate. But just because he's putting on the volume in the way that he does, I'm pretty sure a lot of judges are going to side with that over a more technical uh, shot by shot sort of approach. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty firm in this one, even though I really feel like in any other matchup at this division, I'm picking against Moutinho. Yeah. I just feel like this is the one that, that sort of works out in that way, but yeah, real, real good reads. Well, and do you think, I mean, there, there's a possibility, I mean, who knows what the, what the UFC wants to do with Chris Moutinho or what they, they think about him, but I mean, this, this could be a, a setup spot for him to some degree. I mean, they, uh, he, he takes that fight against Sean O'Malley, um, takes an absolute ass drubbing, but, but hangs in there is obviously a tough guy. And uh, they happen to have a 42 year old guy on the roster in this weight class, which is not something you're going to find a lot of times at these smaller weight classes. And they just happen to give him the 42 year old guy. I don't know. I I'm tinfoil hatting a little bit here, but maybe the UFC wants to get Chris Moutinho a win here. Dude, that's a really good shout. And something that not a lot of people take into consideration. You know, they want to capitalize on whatever hype they could possibly generate. And I agree. A lot of those clips got a lot of views. So I'm pretty sure, you know, they see a lot of metrics that we don't. And that, that might be another good reason to sort of side on, on Chris Moutinho's side. Uh, really good, really good shit. I'm excited, man. This is going, this is going awesome. Uh, next up, this fight. So this is another one of those fights where I'm like, you know, either one of these things could happen, and I'm pretty sure it'll make a whole lot of sense to me. We got Dalcha Lugiambula coming up against Cody Brundage. Um, I'll let you start off with this one. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, this is another one where I, I didn't come out of it feeling like I had a real solid read. Um, Brundage is a guy that I just don't, I don't feel like, and I'm, maybe you can help me out here, but I, I don't feel like I have a solid read on who he is as a fighter. Like I can see things that he's good at, but I, but I didn't come away from the tape feeling like, like I understand who he is as a package deal, if that makes sense. Um, and Daltalun Gambula is a guy who, who has, obviously he has fantastic physicality. He has high level skills. And yet, he's to me he's one of those fighters who is kind of less than the sum of his parts he has he has strong skills but he struggles to put them together into a complete mma game and to like be able to put together you know con consistently put together strong complete mma performances if that makes sense and because of the the way i feel about both of these guys i just felt like it was it's really hard to to be confident in, in much of anything here, <laughs> if that, you know? And so what, a lot of times when I'm watching tape and, and that's what I end up deciding, cause like I said, I'm, I'm working with a limited amount of time here. So if I've watched a fair amount of tape and I'm at a point where I'm like, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do with this one. A lot of times I'll just kind of listen to that. I'll just kind of be like, you know what? It's time to just move on to the next one. I don't feel like I'm getting much here. So I'm not really sure. Um, what to do with it so that's really kind of kind of how I ended up on this one so I, I and I ended up deciding it could be a good live betting spot because I don't it, this is one of those where I don't feel like I have a sense of how of how their dynamic is going to be when they get in there but you know a minute or two into the fight that might start to become clear you know so I, right now I don't feel like I I have it but maybe uh maybe live betting you could see, start to see some things that make sense for sure. So before I get into my thoughts, what's your official pick if you had to give one? Oh, shit. I'm gonna... <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say... Geez, I don't know. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Dolce, just kind of for the the physicality and the and the the experience. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel good about it, but I gotta pick somebody. I'll go with Dolce. Yeah, man. I, I I agree with a lot of the things you said, and something that really shocked me. Um, when really thinking about Cody Brundage's game was I was like, I feel like he wants to wrestle more than he really can in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the, the real issue with his game. Um, and what I find fascinating about Doucha too, is like, I, I agree with what you said so much. Like there's a big, a big difference than having those skills and being able to use them in a proper way that gets you wins i think if you lined them up with most fighters from 170 to one uh to 205 and just ask them to throw kicks i think you'll be a lot more impressed with doucha than a lot of guys that are high level mma fighters that are in that top 10 range um but i agree man there's there's so much more to it than just that and and to go to uh to sort of jump around to another fight that's happening on this card what what weirds me out about his game too is you could see that he has a real traditional sort of striking background because his his ability to sort of chamber things whether it's punches or kicks like it's very thoughtful but his defensive responsibility is almost non-existent like that i i'm thinking of that shot uh that magomed ankalaev landed on him that up kick that obviously finished the fight uh, right through the middle of the guard and and not that I'm blaming him for not being able to see that but it just it just it just felt like something that shouldn't have landed when I was watching it I was like holy shit um so I agree man I think there's a real lack of sort of and, and I'm not trying to be critical here I'm not a fighter but I feel like there's a lack of sort of the intangible things that a lot of people don't really um put a lot of stock in when it comes to, to high level MMA fighters but I think it's a real thing um, I tend to lean, I agree with you that this is a live betting thing, um, because I think every time I think about this fight, I really see Doucha kicking his ass in the first round, and then uh, Cody Brund is slowly sort of working his way in, in clinch positions, and then eventually being able to get some top control, um, so that's the way I'm reading it, I'm going to say Cody, and I'm going to hate it, I'm going to hate every minute of that pick, but that, that's where I'm going. Yeah, I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but I don't know if you've read uh, George St. Pierre's book, but one thing that he talks about in that book, he, he calls it, he calls it shoot box. That's what he calls the, um, basically the threads that tie all of the skills together into a complete MMA game. He calls that his shoot box. And he says that, um, and, and, and his, they talk to different like trainers of his and stuff in the book as well. And they talk about it and, 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 and his different coaches and trainers that he's had over the years said, George himself was the one who, who put all of that stuff together. I mean, he learned the separate skills and he brought his own philosophy and his own methods to turning it all into a complete MMA game. And George believes that that really is the, is the biggest key to his success. And the biggest thing that he had over his opponents was that he had really put a lot of thought, a lot of time, and a lot of work into figuring out how to put everything together into into an overall game, and and he and he feels that there's still not as much focus on that, and that that a lot of fighters still aren't doing that in like a high level way. And I thought that was, I think that's definitely really true, and that and that's part of what I'm talking about, like what we saw with with Bryce Mitchell, like it's kind of an intangible type thing, but I think part of what we saw in that performance was an ability 
to really put things together into a complete performance that we uh, against a high level veteran that we don't often see in a, in a younger fighter that doesn't have a whole lot of experience under their belt. And that's what really impressed me there. Dude, that's a great shout. And I feel like uh, a perfect example of that is like, when was the last time you've seen GSP really doubling down on uppercuts? It's not happening. Um, not because he can't throw an uppercut or he can't land one. It's because those things aren't satisfying the, the, the sort of ends that he's trying to go for. And I find that very fascinating. I, I, I'm pretty sure there's uh, hundreds of fighters that don't even think about those things at all. And this are very instinctual with the way they approach it. Um, but I feel like as someone who's watching from the outside looking in, that's something that I feel like I pick up on where you could see certain people. They It's not that they don't have certain skills, but they really tailor their skills to the matchup in order to further the, the sort of angle that they're trying to get already. And I think the, bring, the Bryce Mitchell example is a perfect one because it's not because he has um Edson Barboza level kicks that he's throwing them that's not the case if anything he looks a little off balance at times but it's because he doesn't mind being on the ground he doesn't mind the the sort of downside of those techniques um in a matchup where he wants to be on the on the ground anyway um so really good shout and I think that's a real underrated part of MMA especially on more casual viewers like I feel like they're they always just look at it, you know, this is a fight and let's see who wins. But in reality, there's a real game going on there where if you could figure out what works specifically against your opponent, a perfect example, in my opinion, of this too, was Cowboy and Kevin Holland in that first round. He really dialed it in in a way he he's not used to. And and it was a little, I was hyped because I put some money on Alex Oliveira for that one too. Because <laughs> I felt like, holy shit, this is what we've always asked of him. Because he has the skills in, those, in that way too. But he was able to sort of rein in his game a little bit and do the things that he wanted to sort of get the openings against Kevin Holland on the feet that he wanted. Um, but it's so weird because those that strategy and those things could also go out of the window in a matter of seconds. Um, so just another, another aspect of the game to sort of look forward to. Yeah. And, and I feel like that, that sort of in that intangible, those, you know, those threads that hold the whole game together is, is something that um, is a lot different. That, that's one of the things that we can point at as being different about um, maybe, you know, the, the apex era or the COVID era or whatever you want to call it, or even like, even more so maybe the difference between the days when the UFC was putting on one event a month and now putting on four events a month and having to like really fill up the roster is I think they're having to bring in fighters earlier who are then having to try to put that game together at the UFC level and end up washing out before they get a chance to do that. Whereas when the, when they were putting on fewer events and the roster wasn't as big, I think they were able to fill the roster more so with fighters who had already had a chance to to build a complete game and to put the pieces together by having experience in smaller shows. And so we're, we're, we're seeing people more so who are not ready in that particular way. I think. That's a great shout. And someone that always comes to mind with that, and this is going to be a super deep cut, but Alex white, he's someone that I've always watched when he first came into the UFC where I'm like, eh, I don't really see the potential. And then after a couple of fights, I'm like, this man is putting a game together. Even if it ended up not working out so well for him in certain matchups, et cetera, um, I feel like you got to see that growth. And, and that's something that always excites me about fighters, um, just because it's not, 
it's not a static storyline. It's not like these guys are who they are. And then that's what it is for every time they fight. I think even in certain matchups, you could see a different aspect of someone's game that they're not willing to show in other ones. And, and that always sort of plays into to my understanding of fights when I'm trying to think of how things are going to play out. It's like, well, do, do I really know? No, like there's no way you could confidently say you have any grasp on what's going to happen because there's so many different intangibles in that way. Absolutely. And that th- th- this isn't either here nor there, but it's it, it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. It's one of the things that bugs the heck out of me about MMA Twitter or like MMA handicappers in general or, or you know, whatever this the whole community is people like arguing about opinions as though they're facts, especially when it's a fight and it's going to play out and we're going to learn the answers. So like, why are you like passionately arguing for something as though it's fact when it hasn't happened yet to be strong in an opinion. But when somebody's like, Oh, are you kidding me? Fighter A is going to whoop fighter B. Absolutely. 100%. You're like dumb. If you don't think that kind of thing, it's like, come on, man. Like somebody can screenshot that. And then if you're wrong, they can bring it back to you and you look like a fool. So don't argue about opinions as though they're facts when they're going to play out. (laughs) For anyway. sure. I'm guilty of that too. I'm guilty of that too. Cause uh, a big thing that I like doing is I like giving my scorecards on certain fights. And then as I'm watching, I realize, especially when I'm betting money, I'm biased as fuck. Like I'm, I'm not being honest at all. Like I'm seeing things the way I want to see it. And I think it's crucial to sort of acknowledge those biases. Uh, really great shout on that one. But Next up, I think it's only right we move on because this is actually one of the more interesting fights on the card for me. Sabino Mazo coming up against Miranda Maverick. So I'll start off on this one. <clears throat> I'm, I've been a huge fan of Sabino Mazo since she came into the, to the UFC. Obviously, her LFA run is really impressive. Um, I, I was just sort of under the impression always that the UFC wanted to see her do well. So it was really surprising to see sort of that slide that she's been on. And now this matchup, like this is a hard matchup for her. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see the way this one plays out because I feel like the more we watch watch of Miranda Maverick as well, I feel like we got to see a little chinks in her armor as well that we sort of assumed weren't there um, that in three specifically three round fights later on in three round fights can become an issue. So I think there's a really sort of clear striker versus grappler dynamic in this fight. Um, but there's a lot of spots where I could see Sabino Mazo having sneaky success in the grappling and it allows her to have a, a better sort of reigning in on getting back to the feet and getting back to the position she wants to be in. Um, I feel like this is one of those fights that I won't be surprised at all if it's over. And then we're like, how the hell did I not know that was going to happen for either of these women? Like for real, yeah. Um, it, it could easily be a, a, a sort of highlight reel situation for Mazo, or it could end up being just a drubbing for Miranda Maverick. I hate that I'm saying that because it sounds like a no answer answer. Um, but I, I think my official pick here is going to be a Miranda Maverick. I think she has a more well-rounded game and has shown her ability to sort of put those skills to bear. Um, but I think there's a real live sort of knockout situation that a lot of people need to watch out for. Yeah, I I pretty much agree with a lot of what you said. I, In the way of a pick, I'm going to pick Miranda Maverick here. 
Um, but this is a situation where the, in my opinion, the, the, the betting lines are, are, are way off. I, I, um, random Maverick is like a minus three ten favorite. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even parlay her there. Um, I haven't bet Mazo here, but at plus two seventy, I, I don't think considering a bet on Mazo is, is a bad idea at all. Um, one thing that I, I'm going to give a little shout out to Clint from the Die Hard MMA podcast here, because one thing that he pointed out on his show this week was that, um, and I haven't verified this, but Clint knows what he's talking about. He said Sabina Mazo, every single time she's been taken down in the UFC, it's been because of a caught kick. He said she's never been taken down by like by a by a single leg or a double leg, or it's been a caught kick every time. And he said that he noticed that she's adjusted um, the way she uses her kicks to make it more difficult to take her down. So he's, I mean, that just something to take into account here, because I think most people who, who think Miranda Maverick is going to cruise here are thinking that she's going to get takedowns and smash on top. And I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. I think it's pretty likely actually, but I just thought that was something that was interesting to consider that, that apparently Sabino Mazo has never been taken down except off of a caught kick. But yeah, I, um, I, I would lean I, I would lean Maverick by decision here based on you know for a lot of the same reasons that you said. But one thing that I want to point out that I think is kind of fun. Um, I started last week. I started doing a thing called highly improbable, where I try to find like a crazy prop with a crazy number and just kind of throw it out there. Doesn't even necessarily mean I'm betting it. It's just fun to talk about. But Sabina Mazo has three UFC victories, and one of those UFC victories is by submission in round three. So she has won one third of her UFC fights by submission in round three, and you can get Sabina Mazo by submission in round three at plus 5,000. Plus 5,000 for a way that she has already won a fight in the UFC. <laughs> That's a great fucking shout right there. That was a rear naked choke too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep, it was. Um, Dude, and, and that's funny enough against Ma Miranda Maverick. I think that's the only live submission. Like, I think she's shown a real good ability to defend arm bars. I think if fatigue becomes a factor, that's a that's a really good shout. I, I ain't saying play it, but just think about it. That's, that's yeah, all yeah. I got to say. Yeah, I don't um, know. I, I don't know if I'm good or not, but it's it's there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I always get scared away by the round props. I feel like if you're going to do a round prop, you almost have to sprinkle on other rounds. I, I would love to get your opinion on that too. But whenever I've done round props, I've always felt like, eh, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I might as well, <laughs> might as well sprinkle a little bit across the board. Yeah, I, I, I definitely haven't, you know, in some instances sprinkled like several rounds, but I, I have, I do kind of try to specifically look for situations to to sprinkle round three and I've, I've hit a few of those lately you know i mean you're looking specifically for fighters that tend to fade that tend to you know i'll even just look through their records and be like all right has this person like lost fights late numerous times and that kind of thing but yeah i i, I hit the um round three sub prop uh on uh kyler phillips recently and also hit a round three sub prop on gerald nearshart I think those are the only two I've hit lately, but I've been throwing one of those out there every now and then. <laughs> For sure, man. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> this next one, man, I'm not going to lie. Out of all of them, I'm the least interested in this fight <laughs> out of the entire card. And this is this is the least invested I am this the whole night. This might be the piss break fight. Um, I'm not going to lie. 
I hope I'm not messed up for saying this. I've just been really uninterested in Damon Jackson as a fighter. And I know that may sound harsh. I watch a lot of lower level promotions. So I've actually seen a lot more fights on him than a lot of most people have. Um, and it's not because I think he's a bad fighter. Like he he's, if in my opinion, he's really maximized his platform. And there's a lot of guys in the UFC that you could say haven't done that. As far as his athletic platform and his martial arts skills, I feel like he really has sort of uh, rang that towel dry. But at the same time, um, I have a hard time siding with his skills when it comes to, uh, you know, trying to get to those positions in a replicable way. Um, I just feel like it's it's been so sporadic when he does get those wins and and almost um, sort of spontaneous and in the moment that he's able to make those reads, which always makes a guy dangerous. Um, but at the same time, makes me feel a little unsure about picking him. Um, and it's not because I'm familiar with Camuela Kirk. It's just like. I feel like Damon Jackson, for the most part, is like an instant fade for me. I'm going Kirk in this one. Um, but if there's any live bet, in my opinion, it's uh, Damon Jackson by sub. You probably won't even get good odds on that. Um, but something to look at if you're if you're going that route. Dude, it's so funny. The first thing you said about this fight is I'm, I've got my notes in front of me here. And on, uh, the very last thing I typed for this fight is, I don't know, just not real interested in this one, to be honest. This was this was kind of the same fight for me, and it's not like I mean both these guys are pretty fun to watch and stuff too. But for some reason, yeah, I just I just couldn't I couldn't get real interested in it. Um, and I I really love part of what you said about Damon Jackson there. And if I'm understanding what you're saying, it's kind of the same way that I feel about him. Like I feel that he um, he ends up in in dominant positions, kind of just by chance more so than trying to put is that kind of what you were saying yeah like i feel he's just he he's really dynamic and he's always kind of moving and he's just kind of scrambly and squirrely and he just kind of ends up where he ends up and and i feel a little bit the same way about kamwella kirk so i think that this could be a pretty fun fight because i think both these guys are pretty scrambly and dynamic and squirrely and um this is one where i ended up looking looking to the numbers to try to kind of get some clarity so I'll, i'm going to share a few numbers with you if that's cool Mm -hmm. um jackson has only 38 percent striking accuracy which is low but he has 42 percent control time which is nice to see um he gets almost two and a half takedowns per 15 minutes but he's successful on only 33 percent of his takedown attempts um and then kamwella kirk he has 25 percent control time against and he has only six percent control time in his favor and so since i didn't feel like i was getting a strong read from the tape i looked to that and so um, in the way of a pick, I'm going to pick Damon Jackson just based on him having that really high level of control time um, and, and Kirk having a really low level of control time. So that's kind of what I ended up looking to as far as making my decision there. Um, I, I don't remember if I looked at props and stuff for this one. There's, there's not any, any bet that I like here or anything, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Damon Jackson as my pick, I think. And I'm so glad you made that distinction too, because I don't think, like you said, I don't think this is going to be a bad fight. It's just like, eh, do I really care? <laughs> and, and, yeah. and that's respectfully, I'm going to watch it. Um, but yeah, really good shouts. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how this one plays out. A rare, um, you know, where we both got two different guys on the, on the, on the picks. That's interesting. So looking forward to see how that one plays out. This, this matchup, actually, I think I'm more excited for than I should be. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pumped for this fight. Trevin Jones going up against Javad Basharat. Uh, really impressed 
uh, by Basharat's uh, contender series uh, performance in a, in a matchup where there was a lot of emotion going into it and he didn't fight that way at all, which I, which I thought is, is something that's very hard to do. I asked the guys in the main event last week. It's, it's very, very hard to do. Um, and he did that and he looked very good, especially with his top control, very dominant. A lot of people were complaining he didn't finish the fight, but I'm like, dude, have you like, were you watching? Like he, he wasn't prioritizing trying to get him out of there necessarily. I think he really wanted to beat the fuck out of him and, and really make him, sort of remember that moment and there's something that I that I definitely do respect about that I think in this matchup Trevin Jones is good man like he is he is really good I think a lot of his skills really jump out at me I don't know if that's because uh I I like the the explosive um (laughs) power punchers especially when they get random uh KO wins over people that they in my mind shouldn't have nowhere near came uh winning against but when it comes to the, sort of the way I'm looking at this matchup, I feel like this is a real dangerous fight for Basharat. I think he didn't really show a lot of the things I would want to see um, in that contender series fight that makes me confident in picking him here. I kind of want to, though. Um, I'm going to go with Trevin Jones here just by uh, sort of dynamicism, di- di- being dynamic and also having the experience when those two things sort of meet up against someone that has a really good, well-rounded game. but has some deficiencies in the area you're the best in and that's striking um i i feel like this one if it plays out where trevin jones sort of gets swarmed and mauled on the ground i won't be surprised at all either that's just sort of the level that basharat's at um i think this is one of those fights where one of these guys could win and then we'll look at this matchup sort of like six years down the line and we're like oh shit like the other guy actually ended up being more successful than the guy that won on the night. Um, and I think those matchups are always pretty cool to sort of look back on because the matchmakers, they got no care about real development about certain guys, certain guys, they tailor their matchups and you could clearly tell, but fights like this, you see, and it's like, it's really, I feel like this shouldn't be a big favor in either direction. I think this should be a coin flip. Yeah, I, I I echo a lot of the points that that you made there, um, and this one was a tough one for me. Coming so coming out of the tape, it's really hard not to favor Basharat. I think, um, but, you know, especially like you said, his contender series fight. I mean, he he looked he looked like it was like you were, it was like somebody who'd been playing a video game for five years was playing against somebody. I mean, he just he he did whatever he wanted to for the most part. You know, like. And then in Trevin Jones's last fight, I believe it was a short, it was a short notice situation for him. So he didn't look great. So if you come out of just like watching the tape on those two fights, it's, it's Basharat all day. And then, um, but I ended up, you know, sort of considering, like you said, Trevin Jones has the, has the higher, the higher level experience. Trevin, well, and I've got some numbers I'll share with you again here too. Um, looking at Javid Basharat's, um, level of competition that he's faced up to this point. He's 11 and 0, I believe. Um, his opponent on contender series, Oron Cologne or whatever, mm-hmm. um, he was 16 and 0, I think. So, I mean, very shiny, nice looking record. Javid Basharat's other 10 pro fights, um, his other 10 pro opponents have a combined record of 29 and 59. So lose, big time losing record. And, and um, the numbers are only that large, largely because of John Spencer, 
Have you heard about this at all yet? No. Okay. Javid Basharat fought this dude named John Spencer. John Spencer is 2 and 39 in professional MMA and 3 and 88 in combat sports. So again, two, two and 39 in MMA. If you include his, he's done boxing and maybe kickboxing. I don't even know what all he's three and 88 in combat sports. And if you look up his record on topology, there's a, there's a warning there that I've never seen before. Actually, I should have been ready for this. I'm, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to pull it up and read it because I've never seen anything like it before. Yes. I love that. We're we're totally off. I'm fascinated right now. And I, I have things to say about this. So please. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so on John Spencer's record, it says, this fighter has been found by Tapology to have engaged in activity which d- does not conform to combat sports standards, has purposely participated in bouts with no reasonable path to victory, displayed a lack of competitive effort, and is unjustifiably matched against far more skilled opponents. Wow. I've never, I've never seen that before. So, so this is a guy who's probably going in there for, and, and if you look at his losses here, I mean, it's all, it's, round one round one round one round one i mean he's he's just going in there for a paycheck takes a few punches and and lays down i'm guessing i i don't know i didn't watch any of his fights or anything but i just thought that was worth bringing up for you know just human interest reasons because i've never seen anything like that before so so yeah if you subtract the two and 39 or whatever that uh, that are from john spencer then you're left with like 25 and 20 or something between 10 fighters is the re- so i mean he's fighting all guys who have like two or three fights and yeah so i mean he's fought literally no level of competition at all until his dana white contender series fight so i definitely think uh that's worth taking into account here that you know he's he's done a lot of cruising he's looked really good he certainly has he appears to have excellent skills but it, but uh those skills could look a lot different in there against someone like trevin jones dude I just want to say this, and I'm not one to kink shame. Like, you do what you got to do. I feel like those regional guys, like, there has to be something to that. Like, there's some humiliation kink going on where where you're fine with doing these things and being that guy. I don't understand it at all. I mean, obviously, if it's a paycheck, it's a paycheck, and that's what it is. But it's just the combat sports specifically is it's so far away from what I imagine as to be, you know what? I'm just going to do that on the side and not give a shit about it. And I'll make some money doing it. Like, dude, that you're going to, you're going to get fucking hurt doing that. And I, I don't understand the rationale whatsoever, but Hey, I guess the combat sports world needs those guys. And there's a lot of them across all the different uh, disciplines. So dude. It, 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 yeah, it is crazy. There, there's a guy I'm, I'm from Fargo, North Dakota originally, and I, I won't name names, but there's a, there's a regional guy back there who has a, you know, like a seven and 49 record or something crazy like that. And I, and here's, here's the funny thing. I actually, I, I met him randomly at a party out in the middle of North Dakota one time. And, I had, and I bet you that's never happened to him in his entire life. Cause he's probably never run into a guy who's like hanging out on the sure dog fight finder and knows all these things. Too. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no way. And what was his reaction? I'm just curious. It, it wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it would be, but he was, it, I mean, it was a, it was a um, after bar party situation where gotcha. everybody was kind of, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. He was just, but he was kind of a laid back chill. He was just like, yeah, just kind of like, cool, whatever. Yeah. He didn't, 
He wasn't as, as he no sold it. Yeah, he no sold it a little bit. That's funny, dude. Yeah, that's so wild to me. I, I will never understand that dark underbelly of combat sports. But we'll yeah. we'll move on from that. Just so I'm clear, you're you're picking Basharat in this one, right? I'm gonna pick Trevin Jones. Oh, I got him to flip. I got him to flip. All right. I, oh, I actually, I actually, I put a bet on Trevin Jones here. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Plus one twenty-five. Nice. Yeah. Underdog money. You got to take it. I respect it. Um, this, this fight actually, and I'm interested to hear how you feel about this. I love JJ Aldridge. I love her game. I think she's one of those fighters that I've seen that I know has shown tangible improvements in their game. Like if there's anyone that I point to sort of blank slate where you see where their game is going, I think she's one of those gals. But at the same time, I think this is one of the more confident plays that I have in mind. Like, this is going to be a parlay, parlay leg for me, 100%. Um, I, I'm going with Jillian Robertson in this one. I just feel like the her JJ Aldris always finds herself in these positions. And I think more so than a lot of people in recent memory, honestly, like, I really love Jillian Robertson's game. Like, of course, she has the deficiencies on the feet, but I feel like she is levels ahead in a way that you don't really see in modern MMA today. And, and it's been really cool to sort of watch and, and just be like a fan of hers. Like, I feel like her journey with Dean Thomas, one of the things that I know about her that probably nobody knows is she actually started as a kickboxer. She didn't start out grappling. She started doing cardio kickboxing and that's what got her into the sport. Um, and I find that so fascinating because you would think the opposite just with the level she's at. Uh, in the grappling phases, I feel like um, by sub, you could sort of sprinkle on every round and end up hitting something here. Um, I'm going with Jillian Robinson on this one. Um, at the same time, do I see a world where JJ just sort of keeps her at range with the jab and ends up hurting her a couple times and wins the decision? Of course. Um, but I just feel like the level um, in the grappling is going to come to bear. So I'm, I'm picking Jillian Robinson on this one. Yeah, this was this was one where I came out of the tape um, leaning Aldrich slightly. I came out of the tape thinking like, ah, if I had to line this, I'm I'm gonna go JJ Aldrich at like fifty five percent or something maybe. And then uh, I pulled it up and she was at plus one one fifteen, so I did bet her here. Um, and yeah, based on it, was you know a lot a lot of the things that that you said there. Like, I if it if it does go to the ground, if Jillian Robertson is able to get takedowns and and able to uh, spend a significant amount of time on the ground, that's going to be problematic for Aldrich. Obviously, um, I was kind you know I was sort of basing my read here on JJ has a four and a half inch reach advantage. She has sixty eight percent takedown defense, which isn't fantastic, but it's decent. Uh, Jillian Robertson has forty nine percent control time in her fights, which is awesome but only 44% takedown accuracy. And, um, and then I also looked at uh, Jillian has um, her takedown defense is only 16%, but I'm guessing it's kind of, kind of like Joel Alvarez. I'm guessing she's one of those fighters. Who's like, if somebody's going to take her down, she's probably like, okay, you know, Thank you. <laughs> she, she's not, she's not great off her back, but I think, you know, she probably feels like, well, even if I'm going to end up on my back, you're going to get me at least, you know, to the world I want to be in where I can do some scrambling and do some working and try to get to, to a better position. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I ended up kind of leaning toward thinking like, all right, well, if, like you said, if JJ is able to, if she's, 
if Jillian's not able to take JJ down and if she does and JJ's able to get up, if she's not able to hold her down for long periods of time, I think it could be problematic for Jillian Robertson. But um, yeah, it, honestly, this is a fight though, where, I mean, the line is super, super close for good reason. Nothing would really surprise me here. I mean, if Jillian, if Jillian Robertson is able to get a takedown and locks on a rear naked choke in round one, you, you know, you're not, I'm not going to be super shocked or anything. So, but yeah, I, I did end up putting a bet on JJ and it was basically just based. It, it was totally a numbers thing. I came out of the tape being like, eh, I'd lean her as a slight favorite and she was a slight dog. So I went for it, but yeah, I don't feel like I have a strong read on exactly how this fight's going to play out or anything like that. It could, it could end up anywhere. For sure. Yeah. And that's a really good shout. I think, the the two worlds in this one is really where this fight is going to play out like either one one person's getting their way or the other is and and i'm pretty sure that's going to be that dynamic of this one so you you love the striker versus grappler matchups it's a, it's a tale as old as time so yeah <laughs> looking forward to it um and then just just to be clear because sometimes it differs your official pick jj right yeah i'll pick jj cool now this one this matchup i'm not gonna lie i have such a bad read on Semmelsberger as a fighter. Every time I'm like confident that he's not going to win, he knocks the dude out in 17 seconds. And then when I'm um, sort of, eh, I'll lean with him. Um, he's had some issues. So um, this one's a little tough for me. I'm seeing a lot of people uh, put down plays on AJ Fletcher. I'm interested to see how you feel about that. Um, I think this, I think in this matchup, what's really getting sort of underrated, in my opinion, is I think Semmelsberger has a real good uh, wrestling awareness. Um, I think even though uh, we've seen him get down a couple times, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure like he he's fighting those positions in a way that you ask of guys like a, a lot of the times sometimes people are bad at, at wrestling and that's just how it's going to be, but they're able to sort of compensate for that with their awareness and keeping themselves out of those positions. I don't think he's bad at wrestling at all. And he has that. So that's another level of that's making me sort of lean towards Semmelsbergel here. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm not very familiar with AJ Fletcher at all. So this one is, is me taking a little bit of a step back. I'm going Semmelsberger on this one, uh, but I won't be surprised either way. I, if I had to pick um, my favorite underdog of, of the week, it would be AJ Fletcher. I think I, I did put a bet. I did put a one unit bet on him at, at uh, plus two ten, mm-hmm. um, And I think like you said about, you know, getting a read on Semmelsberger's game, like, and, and I, I don't want to come across like, like I'm talking shit, but I came out of the tape basically feeling like I just, generally speaking, I just don't feel like, Semmelsberger has a real high level game. Um, I think, I think he has a lot of, he has a lot of things going for him physically that he makes work really well. And I mean, obviously he's got skills or he wouldn't be operating at the level that he is, but I, I don't feel like generally speaking that he has a super high overall skill set. I think he has a kind of a more, you know, lower to mid-level skill set that he, that he's able to make work because of his, uh, because of his physicality, his toughness, his cardio, things like that. Um, he's going to be the much bigger guy here. He's got three inches of height. And, and I think maybe even more than that. I, I think AJ Fletcher um, is one of those guys who he's listed at 5'10". I don't think he's 5'10", dude. 
I don't know. Like I look at, I I'm only like five, seven. And when I look at AJ Fletcher, I'm like, I think that guy's about my size. I guess we'll see when they line up, but I don't, I don't know if he's five ten, man. He looks little, but um, so he's got at least three inches of height. He's got eight inches of reach. Um, he's going to be the bigger guy, but um, one thing that AJ Fletcher is really good at, and it's kind of weird because it, it's kind of a GSP thing. Like allegedly AJ Fletcher um, did not wrestle in high school or in college but he's a solid wrestler and he, and he, he's, he has um, solid success with his wrestling in MMA, much like GSP. Um, one thing that Fletcher is really, really good at is finding those super quick, super explosive reactive takedowns when, when his opponent is coming in, like timing those perfectly, like when an opponent is coming in with strikes and is stepping and is maybe a little off balance and that kind of thing, he's lightning quick changes levels and, and takes their hips out from under them. And so really that's what, that's a big part of the reason that I ended up putting a bet on AJ Fletcher here is he's really good at those reactive takedowns. And Matt Semmelsberger is definitely a guy who's going to give you those opportunities. He's definitely going to come forward and throw big punches. And uh, AJ Fletcher is just, he's, he's, he looks really strong. He's really quick. He's really explosive. And um, I think he's probably going to be able to find those, those takedowns. Um, that's really like about as, about as deep as it went, as far as why I made the bet. Like once I looked at the numbers, like should Semmelsberger be favored? Yeah. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. You know, we've got, we've got Fletcher coming off the contender series. We've got Semmelsberger who's obviously got the higher level UFC experience, but, um, you know, it was totally a numbers thing. Seeing Fletcher at plus 210, I was like, ah, I got to take a shot on that. Yeah, man. We love to hear it. Hey, listen, listen to him, because I'm pretty sure. I, what, what fascinates me, too, that you mentioned the reactive takedown, that's something I noticed as well. And I think the fact that Semmelsberger spams one-twos, like, that, that is exactly the sort of condition that you want um, if you're that guy. So... Really good shower. I'm still going to keep my pick, but like I said, I'm not confident whatsoever. So listen to Eric on this one. Um, next up, this this is a fun one. Like, this is a real fun one. Alex Pereira coming up against Bruno Silva. Uh, for a long time, I was confused about what his name was. <laughs> I thought for a while he's going by Bruno Santos, but we'll, we'll move forward. Um, when it comes to this matchup, what bothered me and this is could all be bullshit because most of the time it is but in an interview bruno silva said you know i'm not gonna go out there and try to be khabib like i want to try to knock this guy out that's what i do and that's what i'm gonna try to do and that just sounds like a lie like like for the most part that just sounds like a lie like you know against a guy like this you really want to chase those positions even if it's just clinch positions like you want to you want to train them because I think, um, respectfully, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering his last opponent's name. But that matchup, in my opinion, although he ended up getting the highlight reel knockout, I thought it wasn't looking good for him early on. And I think the fact that he was able to give him issues in the sort of clinch positions when he's not known for being a strong grappler or someone who even favors grappling, a um, little bit of a red flag for me him saying that in the interview was also a red flag for me. So now I'm like, uh, I don't know which way to go on this one. Um, give me Alex Pereira here in this one by dumb MMA shit. Cause that, that's usually how these things work out. 
Um, but I, I'm actually not as interested in his MMA career as everyone else seems to be. I feel like everyone is putting him on a pedestal in a real way because of the Adesanya matchup. But I feel like there's no way he ever ends up in the position to get that matchup just because there's so many deficiencies there. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, unless they just give him the shot just because, which I could see them doing because they love Adesanya, which, hey, you do what you got to do. But imagine he becomes champ and then they just sort of give him someone like, I don't know, Kelvin Gastelum. And now Kelvin Gastelum is the champ. Like, I'm sure that would happen if he ends up being champ. Like, not that they'll give him Gastelum, but a sort of random top five guy will always end up the champ in that matchup. Um, but... Either way, I went on my little rant there. I'm going to Alex Pereira here by dumb shit. What's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, like how we were talking earlier about that uh, Sabina Mazo by sub in round three being plus 5,000. That's that's where I'm going to line Alex Pereira ever fighting Izzy in the UFC. Plus 5,000. Yeah, I just, I don't, yeah. Like they've, they've, you know, kind of hounded on that narrative quite a bit and stuff. And it's like... I can't even imagine the circumstances that would lead to to that fight happening in the UFC. I just don't, I just don't think it will, but um, yeah, the, uh, I'm not sure whether to start with discussing the fight or just reveal. It. I'm just going to reveal it outright. I've got three units on Alex Pereira here at minus 170. Um, and actually I'm just going to read part of my notes here. Cause it kind of piggybacks on something that you just said. Silva has KO'd his last seven opponents in a row. Three of those at the UFC level. His typical path to victory is on the feet, but when you're standing across from a world-class kickboxer who has four inches of height and six inches of reach on you, what do you do? Do you come in with the game plan that has netted you seven KOs in a row and hope it works again here despite everything that is clearly working against you? Or do you change it up and look to grapple? You know, like it's, I mean, yeah, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what he's going to do, but yeah, if he's telling the truth in that interview you're talking about that, I mean, have we seen crazier things? Could Bruno Silva come out here and knock out Alex Pereira? Sure, sure. But it doesn't seem like a very good idea to try to come at it that way, right? I mean, not just this the skill level, but um, Alex Pereira is huge. I mean, he's 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 a big guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, shockingly, almost yeah, shockingly yeah, big. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for yeah, the fact that he makes eighty five, and you know, of course, we've seen high level kickboxers come over to MMA and just shit the bed. Of, of course, that happens. You know, I mean, we don't we don't know that Alex Pereira is, is going to, you know, turn out to be a high level MMA fighter. He may not. Um, I, but I do think he has pretty decent takedown defense. I do think he's pretty decent at getting up and he, and, and really a lot of times what I, what I look for in a get up game, it isn't even specific, specific techniques or way of going, ways of going about it as it is just, the desire to get up, <laughs> you know, and the, and the cardio, like the cardio to, to, to do it basically, you know, like that's the main thing I watch for is a fighter who ends up on their back and just kind of hangs out there, you know, mm-hmm. it, whether, whether it's because they're too tired or they just don't know what to do or whatever it is. But Pereira is a guy who knows he doesn't want to be on his back and wants to get the hell back up. And that, and there's a lot to be said, even, even just for that, you know? So um, yeah, when I came out of the tape here, I was actually expecting to see Pereira as a, as a bigger favorite. And, uh, you know, of course, we have to take into account, you know, Bruno Silva having the much more um, well-rounded game, the higher level experience and that kind of thing. But this is a spot where I ended up feeling like um, even with those things, 
Pereira is a pretty, pretty tough hill to climb. Um, so I did put that bet on Pereira here. Uh, one, one thing I want to point out, just not, not because it's a good bet, but just because it's interesting fight doesn't go the distance here is at minus 600. So no clearly way. it is not expected that these guys are going to make it to the final bell. And I think, so yeah, like lo- looking for a way to, which I, yeah, fight doesn't go. What is my decision? I got, I got to know. Yeah. Uh, you can't really, do I don't know. I don't know. I think that, yeah, fight doesn't go the distance was at minus 600 and fight goes the distance was at like plus 400 or something. I don't actually have all the numbers in front of me. I just have what I put in my notes here. So I'm not sure, but, good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do want to, my books didn't have any uh, KO or inside the distance props available, but that's, that's really, you know, what I would, what I want to look at here. I did already bet prayers money line, but I definitely want to look at what might be available as far as uh, KO props and inside the distance props and that kind of thing could maybe even find a way to potentially, create a hedge situation if Pereira does end up losing there but I'll have to see what's available but this this might be the kind of fight where the books are too scared to put that stuff up because <laughs> it's just such a such a crazy fight but yeah, um but yeah as far as a pick I'm gonna pick Pereira for sure and there are a couple things that you said that really stuck out to me that I want to make note of one find me a clip of Bruno Santos shooting for a takedown where he hasn't just been cracked hard. Like it doesn't exist. I promise you it doesn't exist. Don't waste your time. And then secondly, what I found really fascinating about this whole conversation is like, I had the same beat on Adesanya and that's what makes his career very exciting to me because I originally was like, especially with the Rob Wilkinson fight, I was like, I was always high on him. I love him as a striker. I love all, all his intangibles, all the shit talking. It's right up my wheelhouse. But what never really clicked for me was I don't see how he's going to be able to get through the ranks in the way that he will need to. And the fact that he's been able to do it has been fucking amazing. Like, I'll be real. Didn't expect that at all. And I think a big part of it is that sort of tailoring your game to the matchup. A lot of people give him flack for having boring fights. Hell, it's not a lot of activity, but it's the way he needs to win. And he acknowledges that. And even the, the, um, the, Rob Whitaker fight I was big on Whitaker in that matchup I thought he would have a lot more to offer and his neutralizing sort of approach to that fight was brilliant in my opinion I think something that nobody expected everyone sort of expected him to try to go for the knockout um I think what's fascinating though about the Alex Pereira conversation I have the same beat I don't think that he's going to be able to climb those heights but it's it's more so because of this reason that I understand why Adesanya was able to do it and this is something we were talking about earlier i really feel like they're asking him so much of him at this stage of his career already being in the ufc i feel like even at the lfa level of course he was knocking dudes dead but you might want a couple more of those like adesanya got a lot of those and you might want a couple more of those to sort of be sure that you're in the place you want to be don't get me wrong i know he's busting his ass every day with uh, glover over there in connecticut those guys I love Glover Teixeira, man. I'm I'm so excited. I'm I'm gonna hate to see him get cooked by Jerry, but I, I I love Glover. But when it comes to this sort of situation, I'm just really like a long term fade this guy because they're just, they just put him in an unwinnable spot, in my opinion. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. I mean, make make no mistake. If there's no Izzy Adesanya, there's no Alex Pereira in the UFC. 
I mean, no. Sir, yeah, no, I mean, no. And yeah, you're, you're exactly right. He, he, uh, he needs three, four, five more fights at least before he should be here probably. Yeah. But, and, and that's not to say, obviously I'm still, I'm picking him to win here anyway. And I think he's probably going to have success in this fight and not to say that he can't have some success at the UFC level, but yeah, he would, it's, it's not ideal for him to be here at this point. Yeah. I agree with that. It's fully matchup dependent and they're not going to give yep. him anyone that's going to give him issues in that range until they feel like they have to. Um, so I'm interested to see how the, his career plays out in that way, but this next one, man, I'm going to let you take the floor with this one. Cause I'm just super excited to find out how you feel about it because I feel like it's going to be the exact opposite of how I feel about it. Um, Drew Dober coming mm. up against Terrence McKinney. Terrence McKinney stepping up on short notice after that huge submission win against Ferez Ziam. Um, ran away with that test in flying colors. I'm going to let you take the floor here. I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are on this fight. I have a lot of thoughts on this fight. I'm not, I'm not even sure where to start. Um, so Terrence McKinney Obviously, the kid is very impressive. Obviously, he's got skills everywhere. He's 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 very explosive. He's a fantastic finisher. We've seen him not only in his two UFC fights he's had so far, but even digging further and further back. I mean, round one finishes again and again and again. Uh, the concern I have about him, though, is that that's the only way he wins or has been so far. You know, he 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 wins in round one. He comes out and has those impressive performances. There's a real big hype train on Terrence McKinney right now. Um, when I finished tape on this fight, uh, Drew Dober was at minus 240, I think, and he's already in like the minus 160 to minus 170 range. Wow. You know, a, a, a lot of people really like Terrence McKinney, and I do too. And a lot of people are liking him in this spot and just kind of riding that hype train. And it, what it makes me think about is how many times we've seen this exact same situation before the three fighters that came to mind that I typed in my, in my notes here are Johnny Walker, Houston, Alexander, and so could you, there have been others, I'm sure, but those are the ones I thought of that, that came out, had several really impressive, but short lived performances. And then you just kind of had to wait for the right spot to fade them because they're not going to be able to keep that up. Um, because, you know, I, I'm a big believer that we don't really learn a whole lot from fighters about those kinds of performances. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people don't feel that way. They're like, well, this guy has knocked out three people in a row. He's going to do it. Yeah, yeah. But what do we really know about his game? Because we haven't seen it. You, we, and, and it's it, the way that he's made it. So we haven't seen it is really good for him. Like awesome that we haven't seen it. You know what I mean? But so in this situation, what it ended up coming down to for me was Terrence McKinney wins in round one and that's pretty much all he does drew dober does not lose in round one <laughs> I'm, i mean i'm this is very narrative based here and i'm oversimplifying it he does actually have one round one loss i can't remember who it was but it was like years ago earlier in his ufc career but um so this is a situation where if, if terrence mckinney can't get drew dober out of there early if he can't knock him out and if he can't and, and as far as finding the early submission i mean we saw we saw Drew Dober um, survive for quite a long time on the ground with Islam, and and even and even do it. You know, he he took good care of himself. It's not like he was at any point um, competing, you know, equally with him. But he was able to keep himself safe. He was able to um, 
put himself in spots he wanted to be in. I mean, he, he, he did well, all things considered, you know what I mean? And so I can't see Terrence McKinney being able to come out and sub him out early. And so, yeah, it, I, I went back and forth on this fight a lot and looked up numbers and whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up coming to the conclusion that, I mean, a, go, a good way to attack it potentially bet wise is, um, you know, put a little sprinkle on Terrence McKinney in round one and then bet, you know, either Dober's money line or something like, okay, Terrence McKinney in round one plus 450, put a little sprinkle on that. Drew Dober in round three plus a thousand, put a little sprinkle on that, cover yourself up there. But yeah, I, I do. I do favor Drew Dober here because I, I don't think if, if Terrence McKinney can't get that early finish and people really haven't been able to do that against Dober, then I just don't see how McKinney wins here. Um, So yeah, Dober's going to be, be my pick. I haven't bet him, but now that that money line's down to like minus 160, 170 area, I'm I'm thinking about actually just betting Dober's money line here, but I haven't done so yet. Yeah. I was going to say that's the perfect time. Um, Dude, uh, I just want to say I loved your analysis on this one because it really touches on a lot of the areas that I feel completely the opposite on. Like, <laughs> funny enough, I agree with everything about Terrence McKinney's hype train and sort of his skills. I thought he was going to have a hard time with Ferez. I really thought that that was the sort of matchup to give him an issue. What what bothers me about this is, and I'll be frank, I love Drew Dober. Like, I'm a fan of this guy. Like, I will make that clear going back a long time now. Like, I can remember the bad boy shorts. Like, that's how you know I'm a fan of this guy. But what what I can't seem to wrap my head around is Terrence McKinney is huge for lightweight in a way that a lot of people sort of ignore and Drew Dober is a little small for lightweight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to play out mm-hmm. to be a little bit more significant than people would imagine. Drew Dober working at Elevation Fight Team, he's really rounded out his game as well. And my initial read on this was eventually Drew Dober is able to get a reactive shot and really sap the energy and then find his way to sort of get a decision. But as I thought about that even more, I'm like, do I even really know that? Like, do I know that that's something that's possible? It's what we assume because of the way he's been winning. But do I know that? I, I don't, especially because I didn't expect the way he won against Ferez Ziam to happen. I didn't expect that to happen at all. I really thought that it would be sort of him really focusing on the striking aggression and the fact that he found himself in a bad spot, got dropped basically by a leg kick and is able to scramble in a way that gets him to that position. Really fascinating stuff for me. Like I think that opened up another level of his game to me that I didn't think was there. Um, which really made me excited when I saw this fight. You probably saw my tweet. I was like, yeah, yeah, I better bet the farm on McKinney like before that line gets too bad because I feel like not because Dober's a bad fighter or he doesn't belong in, in the in the sort of echelon he is in the lightweight division. I don't agree with that at all. I just think this is a bad matchup for him. And I think that's notable when you consider the guys he's lost to. Um, I think this could sort of end up playing out similarly to that um, Brad Riddell fight where it's, it's a dog fight and these guys are sort of having back and forth exchanges and sort of the length and the, the bigger man ends up sort of coming out on top at the end. 
I'm I'm pumped for this fight though. Like this, I don't even yeah. remember the original matchup because as soon as they announced it, it just blew my mind. So excited to see how it plays out. I don't like the fact that Terrence McKinney finds himself in a position where he could be looking right outside the top 15 this early on in his career because of all the things we talked about during this show. But I just feel like I have to lean McKinney in the matchup because of the way their styles clash, but I'm, I'm pumped, dude. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating matchup. Like it's, it's, it's a situation where it's a, it's a huge step up in competition for Terrence McKinney, but at the same time, it's not an unreasonable ask at this point. It's a perfect matchup in that way. It's a huge step up, but it's not like you look at it and are like, Oh shit, this is too much too soon. It's reasonable. You know, like Terrence McKinney can win this fight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic matchup. There, as I was going through my notes today, like you said, how many great fights are on this? I just kept like scrolling through my notes and being like, Oh shit, that's a rad fight. That's a rad fight. I was like, Oh yeah, this card is actually awesome. Like there's a lot of good stuff here. Action fights. And yeah. the next three are even speak to that even more. So yeah, man, this, this episode has been super fun for me already. And we still got the three main fights to talk that's about. Fair. Next up, Khalil Roundtree versus Carl Roberson. This is the ultimate sort of um, <laughs> throw your toys into the meat grinder matchup. I, I'm really excited for this fight, not because I think this is going to be the most technical display of striking. I think this is going to be a fucking dog fight, and it's just going to be two guys getting whatever they can while they can and then looking across and seeing if the other guy's still there to sort of answer back i feel like that's how this matchup's gonna go until someone ends up getting a win i'll be really shocked if like this fight starts and these guys circle the cage and they're looking at each other for a like i will be shocked because that's so against everything they've had up to this point um i i will admit i've had a hard time I'm admitting my biases here. I had a hard time really gauging Carl Roberson's career. I feel like there's a lot of times where I've seen him do impressive shit, and then it always ends up in a loss, sadly. And of course, a lot of people sort of discount his kickboxing experience. I think it's very real, especially with the emergence of guys like Dustin Jacoby. If I'm not mistaken, they fought each other in glory. And this... This striking matchup is fascinating in that way because Khalil Roundtree turned a corner in a way that I can't remember another fighter doing that the way he did it. Like, don't get me wrong. He's still not um, someone that you'll point to that you'll say has perfect striking, but his ability to adapt to that Thai style and use it in MMA in an effective way when a lot of ties have had issues in MMA using it in an effective way, I felt like it was almost like a light bulb moment for him with those teeps and the leg kicks and being able and how those things complement his game, I think is really cool. Like I I'm such a fan of him and his development later on in his career, because it was one of those things that I did not expect. Like just the way he, he sort of transformed his game entirely i watched him since the ultimate fighter days that was one of my favorite seasons of the ultimate fighter and just seeing where he's come since then it's light years apart man shout out to him representing for us big boys in mma but i I just gotta say i'm leaning towards khalil here just because i love him so much and i'll acknowledge that like off rip i mean you gotta get 
some points for for dating Mia Kang, right? Like there has to be some points for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this matchup is going to be a firecracker, and uh, don't blink because it's going to be wild. I'm going Khalil here, but I will not bet on this fight at all. I'm interested to see how you feel about that, but uh, have fun while it lasts. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the point you brought up about about Khalil, about the uh, transformation that he made, and that like, yeah, I I don't I can't think of another time that we've seen a fighter make such a clear and visually obvious transformation and change in their game and in their approach in in just one fight rather than something that happened incrementally yeah i can't remember another time that that happened where it was like it it was like almost like what is he doing kind of you know like it's it's almost like he's wearing a halloween costume or something like is he is he but but it but it was effective it worked but yeah like as far as it's it's weird to think about almost like the bruce lee like empty your cup so i can fill it up kind of thing like it's weird to think about somebody um, you know, being at that level, you know, fighting at the UFC level and, and, and changing their game. So, so fully like that, but yeah, I, I can't think of another time that that happened. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, to get to the fight, this is, a, this is another fight where I don't feel like I have a strong read, which I think is kind of what you said too. It's, it's a fight where I don't know. I almost feel like I almost feel like you you can't like if I talk to somebody who felt like they had a really strong read on this fight, I think I would be a little bit untrustworthy of of <laughs> that person's analysis because I just don't think you could be that confident in this because this is one. Well, you said you've watched my breakdown videos. One thing that I mention a lot is that when there's a fight where two guys are extremely athletic, extremely explosive, extremely powerful, and and um the way that that dynamic can comes together sometimes can be so just chaotic that it's just really hard to know what's going to happen. And even though these, you know, these guys are, they're not fighters who, who get super loose and crazy necessarily. They're, they're reasonably technical. They, you know, they, they stick to a fairly technical game, but at the same time, this is one of those who, yeah, when they come together and one of them lands a strike and the other one, like, things could get chaotic and crazy really quick in this fight. So I don't feel like I have a strong read on what's going to happen. So I ended up kind of looking to some of the numbers again. And, you know, not that it's necessarily going to come to this, but I just thought this was kind of interesting. But Khalil has never attempted a takedown in 11 UFC fights. That's kind of interesting. And Roberson is four for seven on takedown attempts. He averages just under one takedown attempt per fight. So is this a situation where he's going to feel the same way that we're feeling right now, that he's coming out and he's uh, matching up on the feet against somebody who he might be fairly even with or who might be able to get the better of him there? Is he going to lift a grapple? I don't know. I mean, we don't have any reason to believe that he will necessarily, but you know, based off the numbers, it's something that he's got in his pocket that he could look to use potentially. I don't know. But as far as Okay, as far as a pick, I hadn't made a pick before, so I'm gonna kind of just doing it now. I'm gonna go. I'll go Roberson just to make it fun between the two of us. But as far as uh, looking at a bet here, um, and I don't know if this line has moved, but last I looked, the under two and a half was at minus one forty-five, which I thought was a potentially a reasonable price for that. My books didn't have a fight doesn't go the distance, 
but um, just looking at the numbers here as far as finishes, Roberson has gone to decision only twice in his last nine, which would be eight UFC fights, and then his contender series fight against Ryan Spann. Khalil has gone to decision three times in his 11 UFC fights. So these guys aren't going to decision super often. And uh, obviously just kind of the way that we're thinking that the dynamic is probably going to play out here. Things could get a little wild and slobber knockery. And so, yeah, I think there's a good chance that we see a finish here. I love that, that, uh, <laughs> I love that verb. Cause I, I, I can't, <laughs> that's perfect. Like that, that's great. That's a great way to put it. And I just wanted to thank you also for mentioning that, because I feel like I did a bad job of explaining that. Like, these guys are not reckless at all. Like, they're both very within mm-hmm. themselves in a way that people with that athletic platform usually aren't, uh, which makes another sort of fascinating dynamic to this one. And it's funny you mentioned Carl Roberson's wrestling acumen. I sort of had the opposite thought. Like, I I felt in when I was thinking about it, like, can Khalil do it again? Like, can, can we see an entirely new transformation from Khalil? That's actually this a great point, point. We've seen it. We've seen it once. And we were very surprised. And, and that, and another fascinating part about that transformation is, yeah, he did it in one fight. But from that point forward, he's that guy now. Like, he, he got uh, Modestus Bukaukis out of there with a freaking... Um, what are those things called? A chasse kick. <laughs> how do you how do you call that? Um, oblique kick. However, they whatever um, sort of uh, tech uh, technical term you want to use for it. I was blown away by that. So I have no idea what's going to happen in this matchup. And I, I love that uh, you highlighted the fact that they're definitely technical because that's a part that I feel like the way I explained it didn't come across at all. Um, but such a good point. I feel like both of these guys are very within themselves in a way that isn't typical and in a way that gets them in trouble. Like you you saw that against Johnny Walker, where he's trying to cover up in a way that you think is the right way. And then he ends up getting just clubbed right over the top with the elbow. Obviously, that's not a very replicable thing. But at the same time, I feel like both of these guys have found themselves being overly sort of within themselves and then end up getting run over for it um, in certain matchups. So dude, excited for that one too. This, this matchup right here though, I'm going to let you start with your analysis on this one too. Cause I really am fascinated to see which way you go with this one. Sadiq Yusuf coming up against Alex Caceres, a big step up for, and you could argue for both of these guys, really. Um, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I think Alex Caceres is one of the most interesting case studies in UFC history. I really do. He's one of those guys that, I mean, he's, he's been a chronic overachiever, I guess you could say. And, and the thing is he loses a ton of fights. It's not even that he, that, that he wins consistently, but just the fact that he's still here defies what a lot of people's expectations were for him and for his career. I think Um, he, he wasn't a guy. I mean, he was, a classic example of a dude who a lot of people probably expected to uh, lose two and win one and lose three. And we never hear from him again, you know, like, and, and he's, he's had, I think 28 UFC fights now, and he's lost a lot of them, but he's a guy who's been able to adapt to fighting at this level. He's a guy who's um, the way I look at him, Okay, my, I'm kind of all over the place here because I have a whole bunch of thoughts on this fight and I don't know how to approach them. But um, my favorite fighter archetype 
is the martial arts nerd who gets into MMA because they want to test their martial arts skills. I was a, I was a martial arts nerd growing up, and that's how I became a fan of MMA in the first place. So fighters like, um, I think Alex Caceres falls into that, and Roxanne Mataferi and Luke Kumo and people like that who are not, well, Alex Caceres is athletic, I guess. I was going to say the ones who are like not even really athletes, and they just get there by, by uh, training and working hard. I think Alex Caceres is reasonably athletic, so he did have that going for him. But yeah, I think he's, he's just a martial arts nerd who kind of fell into the sport. I think and I think it shows still in the way he, the way he approaches his fights. I think he still is a guy who's like kind of just in there trying things sometimes, you know what I mean? I, I, I feel like he's not a guy who, who goes in there with a, with a super specific game plan or a super specific approach to how he's going to win the fight. I think he's just kind of, and I might be overstating this a little, but I think he's just kind of from minute to minute being like, oh, I'm going to try this. This is something I've been working on. I'm going to see if this works. I've been working on this cool kick. Let's see if this, you know, like he's just, he's just kind of in there flowing and being a martial arts nerd. And I freaking love it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I remember kind of the moment where it clicked where one day I was like, I think I'm an Alex Caceres fan. Like this guy's good and he's fun to watch. And I, and I like him. Um, so yeah, I kind of went, I kind of went all over the place with my, with my notes on this fight and I've gone back and forth on, on what I think about it. Um, Alex Caceres is, he's definitely outgunned here in a lot of ways. Um, I think Yusuf is going to be so much more physical and so much stronger. I think, I think he's going to be able to, uh, you know, potentially, I mean, Alex Caceres has, he's, he has a lot of movement. He's very dynamic. He moves really well, but um, in instances where, you know, if they're clinching up or on the ground, I think, I think Yusuf is going to be the much stronger and more physical fighter. Um, it, and even in the fights where Alex Caceres wins, he's going through hell to get there a lot of the time, you know? I, I mean, he, he doesn't usually get to a win without being dominated and almost finished at some point and that sort of thing. And I don't know if he's... It, he's a tough guy. He's got a good chin. I don't know how well he's going to handle um, going through moments of being dominated and being almost finished against someone like uh, Sodiq Yusuf. So I, like I said, I keep going back and forth on this. The, what Alex Caceres has going for him here is I, th I think, and, and it's such an intangible thing, but I think Alex Caceres' number one trait in this fight is really just his incredibly vast high level experience. The guy has seen it all, he's done it all, he's been in there against every kind of fighter you can think of, and he's just slippery and sneaky and he finds ways, he finds little situations, he knows what to look for. And so I definitely do favor Sodiq Yusuf to win this fight, but every time I think about it playing out in my head, I see, I see Sadiq Yusuf beating his ass for 12, 13 minutes. And then all of a sudden, uh, Alex Caceres is on his back, choking him out. And you're not even sure how he got there. Mm. I'm not, that's not my pick, but you know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. not out of the question here at all. <laughs> like Alex Caceres is going to be losing minutes in this fight. He's probably going to be getting his ass kicked in this fight, but that doesn't mean that he's out of it. Um, but yeah, it, by way of a pick, 
um, I, I did put Sadiq Yusuf in a, in a parlay here. Um, he's, he was at like minus 220. That number is maybe a little bit wide, but I still didn't mind parlaying it. Um, another uh, fun uh, prop to look at here is Alex Caceres by sub at plus 1,000. I didn't play it, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Awesome reads, dude. I, I was nerding out listening to you talk about this. And what's fascinating to me is this is literally a matchup. So I'm going to I'm gonna go on an Alex Caceres rant the same way you did because I think it's important that I get this out. The very first full event that I watched was UFC 175. And I've talked to you about this before, but I've never talked about it on the show. So let's get into it. As soon as I saw, because... Alex Caceres was on that card. Do you, do, could you, could you imagine, could you give me a guess who you think he fought on that card? Just, just throw a name oh out God, there. I have no idea. He fought Uriah Faber on that card. And he oh, got ran wow. over. He got ran over. But after I watched that fight, I'm like, that's my guy. Like, as soon as I saw him fight, I was like, I don't care that he lost. That is my guy. And I got a lot of the same breeze that you have on this fight. Because of that, I know I'm a little biased. I will admit that. Um, but I also am a big fan of Sadiq Yusuf. So I think my bias balances out a little bit. Um, I think the key point was something that you touched on, the physicality. I think there's a big difference as far as uh, their physical strength. And one of my favorite fights that I've ever watched is uh, Sadiq Yusuf's fight with Mike Davis. That fight was a banger. Please, uh, everyone, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. One of my favorite fights ever, literally. And I've watched many, um, <clears throat> but what what bugs me out about this matchup is exactly what you said. Like I could see scenarios where Alex Caceres is able to keep him really on the outside because don't forget he has a really big advantage in um, height and reach in this one. And I, I could see a, a sort of inside out approach from Alex Caceres being super successful in a way that made him look like a, a big favorite that we that we can't really fathom thinking about now but i'm telling you it's it's a scenario that can play out uh just with his skill set at the same time i do tend to lean towards sadiq yusuf just because of all the just the momentum being almost in his favor in a lot of ways um but i feel like this is one of the matchups that it does it is not justified the level of favorite that he is in this in this matchup i think no matter how this plays out Alex Caceres is going to have moments in this fight and, and people can discount it as much as they want. And if Sadiq Yusuf ends up making it a one-sided fight, I think that tells us more about Sadiq Yusuf than it tells us about Alex Caceres. Um, I'm pumped for this matchup um, it, it, for so many different reasons. I, I think I'm leaning to, to go with Sadiq and that that'll be my pick. Um, but I know who I'm rooting for. <laughs> it's not Sadiq Yusuf. So yeah. Uh, Thank you, because your analysis is so funny how it lines up with mine for completely different reasons, almost. All right, so let me let me add this in, Yusuf, and then I'll put it. He's your pick as well, just so I'm clear, right? Yeah, I'll go with Sadiq, yeah. Okay. Now, this fight, the co-main event. When I first thought of the matchup, I want I, I I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> Let me explain why. I'm also a fan of Marlon Moraes. I 
was supposed to be in the building on the same night that him and Justin Gaethje defended their titles in the World Series of Fighting. Fortunately, I ended up getting sick and not being able to go. But I followed his career since all the way back then. And it's been really surprising to see the sort of rut he's in right now. I think it entirely is about competition more than it is about skill. I think he's someone that all his sort of intangibles jump out at you, even if he's not successful in certain matchups. I think you see the fighter he is and the potential he has in every one of his fights. He comes out hard and he has, he doesn't have a, a sustainable motor, but he has a very, um, a very persistent motor at the start of these fights. Like they're, he's coming at you and he's coming at you fast and hard and he's able to win against a lot of good guys with that with that sort of style and I always think back to that sort of Aljamain Sterling fight because there's there's levels that you have to get through in order to cause him issues that guys like Henry Cejudo were able to get through those ranges but they got the shit kicked out of them in order to get to those positions um, which makes it fascinating because the, everyone sort of instantly fades him at this point in his career, which makes me sad um, mm-hmm. just because I'm a real fan of him and, and everything he's been able to achieve. But in a lot of ways, I feel like this matchup, obviously the youth aspect of it really tips the scales in Song Dong's favor, in my opinion. I think in a lot of ways, although uh, Marlon Marais, I would say is a better striker. Um, I feel like, they they are kind of the spider-man meme a little bit like i feel like they're 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 pointing at each other and they see a lot of themselves in one another um i i but what makes it even more so like i'm leaning towards song Yudong is he also has the grappling chops to match up with that and when you when you bring in all those factors i think it's very easy to pick song Yudong in this one especially with the momentum of marlon marice's career but I honestly would love to see a resurgence. Like, I feel like even if he loses here, he should not be cut because he, he, he is that guy. Like, if you gave, there's a reason why he's only faced the highest level of competition at bantamweight. If, if we saw him against anyone like, and I say this respectfully because we showed how much love, if he fought Alex Caceres, he would murder him. In my opinion, I, I really think that would be a, horrible matchup for Alex Caceres so please put some respect on Marlon Marais's name I'm going with Song Yadong in this one um but I I I'm hoping I'm hoping Marlon Marais is able to figure something out yeah man I I don't even know that I really have much to add you you kind of said a lot of the same things that I would say that that yeah like I mean Marais, I mean, look at, look at who he's fought in his last four or five fights, like you said, you know, and, and yeah, I don't think he's a guy that, I mean, if he, if he loses, yeah. Can, can you cut Marlon Marais from the UFC, the UFC, the, the whole idea of the UFC is we're trying to have the best fighters in the world fighting each other. Are you telling me that if Marlon Marais loses to Song Yudong on Saturday, that Marlon Marais is not one of the best fighters in the world anymore? Of course he is. You know, he belongs in the UFC. Yeah, like I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, you can you can kind of get behind the narrative that that he's getting old and falling off and whatever. But like you said, that level of competition, you know, he's he is still dangerous. He he has the uh, I mean, the 
the things that people say about him that he's you know he's kind of a seven minute fighter and that kind of thing i mean there is some there is some truth to those things certainly he's incredibly dangerous early and becomes less dangerous at a point i mean i i think those things are true but that doesn't mean that he's um has fallen off a cliff or no longer belongs at this level or anything like that that's just kind of the fighter that he is but um yeah i do i i also lean uh song Yudong to win here i think this fight is uh potentially a great live betting spot because you know marlin's probably gonna have a good round one and if 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 song Yudong survives um into round two we could see we could see a good number for him on the live betting line um i actually did bet uh, so Song Yudong is, is at about minus 240 as the favorite last I looked anyway. I'm not sure if that's still what the line is at exactly, but um, I was able to get Song inside the distance at minus 110, which I thought was a pretty solid bet for somebody who's a minus 240 favorite, who I think if he does win here is likely to find a finish. Um, so I did put two units on Song Yudong inside the distance interested in uh, potentially hedging on a Song Yudong bet or just throwing a fun prop out there. Marlon Marais by KO in round one is at plus 1,200, which, yeah. well, That doesn't not, add up. It might not be anymore, actually. I, I haven't looked at that. Yeah, that doesn't seem right, right? That I mean, if Marlon Marais is going to win this fight, it's almost certainly going to be in round one by KO, right? Um, so, yeah, I think... I've got my song inside the distance two units and I could put a tiny little sprinkle on Marlon Marais in round one by KO and I would be pretty, pretty well covered. You know, things can get crazy and go outside of that, but I think I'd be pretty well covered there. <laughs> yeah, man. Great reads. I just want to say I'm so thankful you didn't say your dong inside the distance because that could have got bad. That could have got bad <laughs> real quick. <laughs> but um yeah, man, I think this is one of those matchups that on paper is like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. But when it when it actually is in front of us, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked at how close this is. I agree. Um, and, and if it goes past that first round, that's where the problems begin for Marlon, for sure. Um, I can't believe he's at ATT, man. Like that, that does, that adds another level to this for me. Like, I really feel like, obviously, it hasn't come to bear in his last couple fights. He's been there, I think, three fights now. Um, but being around that level of of athletes and wrestlers specifically, I feel like really does him wonders in this matchup and makes it, like you said, closer than the eye appears it to be. But um, really excited to see how this one plays out. And the, it, go ahead. I just wanted to throw one more thing in there because it kind of piggybacks on what we were just talking about. The very first thing I typed in my notes for this fight was to be careful not to buy too deeply into an overly simple narrative because this is a fight where it's really easy to do that, right? Uh -huh. So yeah, where yeah, it's really easy to just be like, well, either this is going to happen or this is going to happen. Like that that's a trap that you have to be careful not to fall into as a as an MMA uh handicapper and gambler is is to remember that we're watching fist fights and the number of potential outcomes is freaking infinite, not mm -hmm. two or whatever, you know. So like this is one of those fights where I had to be careful about that. <laughs> That's a really good shout and reminds me of what you were talking about earlier about, you know, you, you can't be uh, so convicted on opinions and because a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of that is opinions, even if history backs it, it's all an opinion until it happens like yep. history backed the fact that 
uh, Glover Teixeira was going to get knocked out by Jan, but that's not what happened. And that, and that's what matters. You know, that's why, that's why the fights happen. So uh, super excited for that one. I think I'm more excited for that one than the main event, <laughs> but we'll, we'll go right into that one. Just, just because it's at the, it's at the top. Tiago Santos versus Magomed Ankalaev. I'm going to ask you, cause I've been in the reins this whole time. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first on this one? Why don't you go ahead? Okay. So when it came down to this matchup, I am a Tiago Santos fan. I will admit that um, the, the things that he does is super impressive. Um, but I think we're, we're a little far removed from that. And, and I hate to say that. Um, I, I hope, my hope is that the reason why I felt that way is because he was coming off those knee injuries and that takes a while to get used to. Uh, but he's older now. Like that, that is a big thing um, that, that is important in this matchup because I love the fact that he moved up. Um, but since he's moved up, he's really sort of hit a wall, in my opinion, where we thought his, his ceiling was much higher coming off of the John Jones fight. And just with injuries and everything else, he hasn't really been able to live up to that hype. Um, on the other hand of this, I say this all the time in my other show. Um, I don't know if you're, uh, you've ever heard of it, but Magomed Ankalaev looks just like Moe's from The Office. Like, if you look it up, please, it, it, it's the same guy. But yeah, yeah, I'm a big Office fan. <laughs> nice. But he is terrifying, dude. Like, honestly, he's one of those guys, me, me and my, uh, my co-host on the other show that I do, we did this segment where it was called Hunting for Belts, where we both sort of, if we had one shot to throw one guy in there to be a champion on, on any given night, against the current champion, who that guy is. And at 205 for me, it was Magomed Ankalaev. Just because I feel his his level in both ranges is something that we don't see at all, like at all. I think every time I've came into a fight thinking this is where he dominates with his grappling, he shows us another level of his striking that wows me. Like I'm super impressed by him because it's not – he he's not one of those people, and I think Alex Caceres is one of those people. We give him so much love. You gotta get, you gotta be you gotta be humble here. Um, I think Alex Caceres does a lot of things for the sake of doing it, which you, which you said, you know, so you gotta try it. I do it in the gym. I might as well try it. I think Magomed Ankalaev has those skills, but applies it in a way that is in that sort of shoot box mentality of what we talked about earlier, where he puts those strikes to bear in a way that's effective for his game. And that is terrifying when you have someone that already is so proficient at grappling and all those aspects of it. Um, and then they're, they're pulling out all these other tools on the feet as well and hurting guys with it. Um, I, I just wanted to say, in that matchup against Jan uh, Kutalaba, where they had that sort of rope-a-dope exchange, yeah. um, I thought I, I thought it was very clear watching, and this was before I even, like, got to the point of watching it again. Like, this was live. I knew that Jan was fucking around. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't hurt, and he was acting like he was to try to get a reaction. I knew that watching it. Um, but the rematch man like that was eye-opening for me too because you're already high on this guy and for him to come out like that in the rematch control for in the first round and really dominate in the second round like i think 
his game is a lot deeper than people give him credit for. And that's what makes me excited about this. Not because I think this is a good matchup. I think this is far from a good matchup. I think this is such a one-sided fight that I don't, I can't even see value on on either side. I don't know if you agree with that, Um, but it's almost like it's so much of a a price point that you, you can't even put this in a parlay. What is it? Minus 600 for Magomed Ankalaev. Um, insane but i think the bookies are seeing what i'm seeing and i i really feel like if there's anyone that i'm betting on their potential it's that guy and it breaks my heart in this matchup because i do like tiago santos and what he has to offer i just feel like at this point in his career this is a tough ask for anyone let alone someone who's been on a big slide regardless of him winning against johnny walker i don't think johnny walker's a main event fighter um so that's just my thoughts on this one yeah, man. The whole reason that I picked you to go first is because then I don't have to say anything because you, you pretty, you pretty, you pretty well, you pretty well said it all. But yeah, this is, I mean, this is such a difficult spot for Tiago Santos for so many reasons. This would be a difficult spot for um, firing on all cylinders, two good knees, not thirty-eight years old, Tiago Santos even. And so to, to, yeah, to take into consideration all of the things that he's swimming upstream against right now, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a really, really tough spot for him. I mean, his, his path to victory here is, is one big moment that he just doesn't seem to find anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, especially not against a a fighter like Magomed Ankalaev and, um, well, and which reminds me of since we're kind of talking about just betting in general here, one one thing that I um, sort of take into consideration when handicapping is uh, trying to figure out how to explain it exactly to when it's a situation where one fighter's path to victory is um, based on a consistent prolonged process. And one fighter's path to victory is based on finding one moment. You know, more often than not, I'm going to lean on the fighter who has that consistent process that can play out over time. Obviously, we've seen fighters, you know, look at look at somebody like uh, Derek Lewis. Does he have a particularly consistent and trustworthy process? Not really, but he's he's his his game is finding that moment, and he's figured out how to do it more often than not. So, I mean, obviously, there are exceptions, but yeah, in this fight against a fighter of Ankalaev's level who who is able who has such a well-rounded game and is able to put all of those skills together at a high level Tiago Santos with two busted out knees at 38 years old who needs to find a moment that's going to be really hard to find for a lot of different reasons um yeah i mean the 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 betting line is insane here and it probably it's probably where it should be um that said, oh, I wanted to I wanted to mention a specific thing here because I'm going to look like Nostradamus if this is how it plays out. I don't usually, like I said, a lot of times my my reads and breakdowns uh, don't even come down to specific technical things; they come down to more uh, tendencies and things like that. But one specific uh, technical thing that I did notice here is um, Magomed Ankalaev is super good with that uh, that check right hook, and I think this is tailor-made situation for him to to find that um with uh, tiago santos who's who's going to be looking to lunge in 
who's, uh, you know, got the issues with his knees that slow him down. He's 38 years old now. He's going to be a little bit slower. He probably doesn't have the reaction time he used to have. Um, Uncle I have come in with that big check right hook. That could be, that could be where we see it happen. And I'm going to look really smart if it does. So I wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> but sure. as, as far as bets, though, um, yeah, I, I did parlay Uncle I have when he was at minus 500. This was one of those situations where I didn't feel good about the number. But sometimes I do it anyway with parlays, you know, I mean, ideally, I would like to be seeing value in the number, even in parlay pieces. But I think more than anything, I just, I just get to a point where I want to put more bets out there and I want to have fun with it. And I just end up putting parlays together, even though I don't like the numbers necessarily. So I parlayed Ankalaev and Sadiq Yusuf because I was pretty, you know, pretty confident in them winning. But as, uh, as far as a bet you could look at, Magomed Ankalaev inside the distance was at minus 110 last time I looked. That's a, that's a pretty good line for, for somebody who's as, who's as high up. And, uh, you, and I, I also wouldn't mind looking at things like Ankalaev in round four at plus 1400 and in round five at plus 2200. It wouldn't surprise me if he finds a finish earlier than that. But I, I, in, in these kind of situations, these five round fights like this, I like to look at the, you know, the later rounds for finish props potentially. Really good shouts all around, dude. I just wanted to say, before we wrap up, like, dude, I don't care. Like, for the most part, if I get my picks wrong, I really don't care. And I think that showed through last week. Obviously, I went six and six. But I feel like a big part of what I care about is how the analysis comes through. And I think no matter what happens throughout this entire card, I think we did a bang-up job of really talking through the scenarios and really seeing what angles both guys have in all these matchups and both ladies may have. Um, I, I, I'm once again, I just want to say this and, and I'll say it on air. I'm a fan of yours. Like, I really think you do a really good job of what you're doing and being able to break this shit down for was super fun for me. So please give them your, your handles again, just so they make sure they get all your content. Cause good shit is always coming. Well, yeah, thanks brother. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of yours as well. And this, this was, this was a lot of fun. I mean, this, even when we did the show before, you know, I was kind of nervous going into that show because I'm, I'm uh, not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty socially awkward dude. And I was like, oh, is it going to be uncomfortable and weird? But we, we, uh, we work pretty well together. I think you're easy to talk to, and I think we do pretty well on camera together. So it was, it's uh, not painful. It's a lot of fun. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, you, uh, you can find me at Eric Betts Fights on Twitter. Um, also Eric Betts Fights on YouTube. Um, ever I put out a full card breakdown with some of my bets and that sort of thing every week on YouTube. I've also put out a few. Um, I, I want to get to do more of these. It's more, it's a time thing more than anything. But I've also put out some kind of like storytelling videos and i put out a video that's a fake interview with george st pierre that i'm really proud of it's really stupid and and dirty and hopefully funny i don't know but i kind of put out dumb little stuff like that um you can also find me every saturday on the dfs by the numbers youtube channel um myself and brady from dfs by the numbers and uncle wheezy and narco cop we go live every day that there's a ufc event we go live one hour before the prelims start we go through the whole card and share our best bets. So it's a great like last stop if you want to get some degen action going. We literally end the show right as the prelims begin. So it's a spot you can kind of stop in and hear the four of us go through our best bets. 
Awesome, dude. Thank you for taking us home with that one. As always, it's important. Make sure you follow the brand OTS Media Co. on all social media platforms, OTS Media on YouTube. So many good things coming out on so many different levels. The fact that you guys are getting three shows out of me a week, I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy to me. I don't know how we ended up here, but I'm honestly loving every second of it. Thank you so much for anybody who's ever showed any interest. I still can't believe it. I don't know if you feel this way too, but I'm just super thankful. Like the, the interactions that I've gotten to have with people just based off doing something that I have fun doing by myself is really cool. And I'm just thankful for everyone out there that gives a fuck. So thank you guys. Make sure you check me out at Instagram at Chris Negron underscore, as well as on Twitter at Negron MMA. And we're always going to try to keep that good content coming for you guys. So make sure you get your bets in for this card. You're not going to want to sleep on that. And have a good time enjoying it. I'm sure we will. Have a good one, you guys. Thanks, y'all.